Episode 269. Yeah, the same calm demeanor I heard the last four hours yeah, at yeah, your house. Yeah, yeah. Sounds exactly like you. Have we ever watched a game together? I don't think so. I've known you since 1995. Should, should we announce to the listeners of Mitch Unfiltered exactly how long ago the game ended, just so they can understand? Yeah. This is not, again, we've talked about this before. This is not the Seahawks playing on Sunday and then you and I going on the air on KJR at 5.30 on Monday morning. Right. Oh, no, or 6 o'clock Monday morning. That's right. This thing just ended like eight minutes ago. <laughs> and I told you, if they lose, I'm leaving. Like, I, I couldn't sit here and do this I didn't show. know whether you were being serious or not, but you, you did say with two plays to go, yeah. If they lose this game, I'm walking out. I'm yeah. not doing the podcast. Now, I, what am I going to do at that point? I don't. You call you the would have sta- You would have stayed. No, come on. <laughs> yeah. You would have stayed. I would have stayed, but it would have been hard. It would have been sad what? and brutal. And yeah. How is it possible that we watch a sport for as long as we've been watching? I've been watching longer than you only because I am older than you. Yep. And that we could possibly see something that we've never seen before. Right. An injury. Especially football. Baseball weird shit happens, but football, I feel like you've seen it all. An injury to your own player (laughs) stops the clock. Some fakakta rule. Yes. There's the right usage of the word fakakta. Look it up. Oh, I know what it means. Says, if you lose a guy to injury on the field and we have to stop the clock for you to tend to your player, he could be dying on the field. If you need to scrape him off the field, mm-hmm. we will not start the clock, restart the clock until you snap the ball, despite the fact that the opposing team has no timeouts. Right, that's right. Now, I think we all knew that kind of in the back of our mind, but I'm I'm not sure any of us have seen it play out the way it did, I'm going to say tonight, Monday night, yeah. whenever you're listening to this. Have you ever seen it play out where it absolutely was almost devastating in a national championship semifinal. I did the math for you. You, you were sitting with you me. Did. I did the math for you with three plays before they even used any of their timeouts. Yep. I told you that if all goes the way it should go, they will have to punt the ball. I said 17 seconds. Yep. It turned out it was going to be 14 or 15 seconds. Right. And that's much- when they would have had to punt the ball. Right. And what did it end up being again? Well, it ended up being 50 seconds. Right. That's right. Because Washington lost a freaking player Mm -hmm. who couldn't get up. He fell and he couldn't get up, like the lady said. Yep. And they decide because of the rule. Now, why is the rule that way? Why should you be as Washington, the team that has the ball, the other team's trying to catch up, they have no timeouts left. Why should they essentially be awarded a fourth timeout if you lose a player to injury, there must be a rational explanation that I'm just not thinking of because, of course, we're recording this six minutes after the game ended. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I had all night to get ready for the KJR show tomorrow, maybe I'd have a different reaction. That was unreal what we just watched. That's right. I couldn't believe what I was looking at, that the clock stopped and they're not going to start it until the snap of the ball. It seems reasonable to me. Now, somebody's probably listening to this and who has had the the favor of time. Yeah. There seems to be no reasonable answer to the question of why shouldn't they stop all the clocks when the guy can't get up? Makes sense. I'm talking about the game clock and the play clock. Yep. Tend to the player. So let's say the, the play clock at that point was at about 38 or 37. Mm-hmm. It's a 40 second clock. It got to maybe 38, 37 until they realized that the guy couldn't get up. Yeah. 
tend to the player, take him off the field, and then start the clock back up, both clocks back up, so that Washington doesn't have to snap the punt until 14 seconds to go. What, 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 why is it that that's not the rule? I know I'm going to speak to Neuheisel late, late, late tonight yeah. for this podcast. You'll hear it on this show, but I'll ask him the question. I don't understand. I, I, I must be missing something. Am I missing something? But would it work the other way if somebody on defense got hurt? Would it be the exact same that the clock wouldn't start until the snap? No, no, or, no, no, no. It's different defense. on defense. Yeah, because right. you're not allowed to fake an injury on defense. See? But let's say a guy really gets hurt. I mean, you can't tell yes. if he's faking or not. But. No, they take him off and they restart they the restart clock. It. Of yeah, course. That's right. Of right. course, because guys would be getting hurt all the time right. for a team that's trying to catch up. Yeah. That's kind of And my then point. you made the point, what, before we started recording? Well, is this now going to be incentive for, for teams that need a free timeout to then try to injure a guy? Injure a guy. It's a free timeout. Let's, he, let's, let's twist his ankle until right. we hear it snap. Roll over so on him. So he can't get up. Right. We're in a national semifinal game. The only chance we have of getting a timeout and getting the ball back is if we literally take the runner's leg, twist it around <laughs> right. until he can't. Yeah, physically get up. It's a new strategy. Who we'll knew? Take, we'll take the 15-yard penalty. Yeah. It'll be a 15-yard penalty at us, but he can't get up, so it's a timeout. You don't even and have to do the ball carrier. Just dive into an offensive lineman's legs. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. And they get down to the what? 15, 12, 13? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And we got to watch 12, 13 plays. And then the play before, the ball goes out of bounds, and it's not enough that it goes out of bounds, but they got to put one <laughs> second back on the clock yeah, but for another, how for another play. How about the play before that or two before where he looked like he was out of bounds completely. No, it's a catch. It's a catch. It's a catch. He looked totally out of bounds. But then you, when you saw the replay, he looked like he had control, and it was a catch. But it just wouldn't end. This game wouldn't end. As we were walking up the steps minutes ago as the game ended, you said something that's interesting. You said had they lost that game, uh-huh. that would have been a more painful way to lose than the Seahawks lost in the Super Bowl to the Patriots. Now, you weren't talking, I don't think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, you weren't talking about the magnitude of the game. One's the Super Bowl, one's the national semifinals of college football. You were just talking about the manner in which you lose a football game. Yeah. This would be more excruciating than even the throw from the one-yard line for the interception. Because you were winning. That's the difference. You were winning. This game felt over. The Super Bowl didn't, I mean, you were losing. You were you losing still had the to Super score. Bowl. You still right. had to score, right? Right. And by the way, I think the magnitude does factor in a little bit. I mean, they're, they're both win or go home. They're both do yes, or die. Are. Yes, they are. So it factors in. Yeah, it's a big game. And yes. this would have just felt so bizarre. I think I agree with you, not because of what you just said, we're winning, we're losing. In one, you threw an interception. Right. You did something you made, negative. You made the decision to throw it. Right. You That's didn't right. have to. And then your quarterback threw a ball that got deflected up in the air and got picked off. Yep. Or didn't get, didn't, I'm sorry, didn't get deflected. He just the jumped guy, the, the route. The guy jumped the route. Yeah, yeah. You made the decision. You executed the play. The guy made a great play on you. You lost the game in excruciating fashion. In this regard, <laughs> you're losing the game because your player got hurt right. on the final <laughs> offensive play of the night. And, and as you said, as you and all, everybody else that was at my house said, if you kneel on the ball, if you take that snap instead of handing the ball to Dylan Johnson, A, he doesn't get hurt. Right. And B, if you just kneel down, you then don't have to punt until, well, it wouldn't have been 14. I think at that point it would have been 17 or 18 on the clock because the clock would continue yeah. to roll. You don't risk injury. 
Of course, Kalen DeBoer would say. I know what he would say, yes. I'm trying to get a first down to end the game. I don't want to punt it with 14 seconds. Yeah. I don't want to punt it with 17. Rather than put my knee on the ground, I'm going to give it to yep. my my horse and see if maybe I can get a first down and then be able to put my knee on the ground and end the game. What happened at the end of the Pac-12 championship game? Dylan Johnson picks up a first down. Picks up a first down. When everyone knew he was going to run and right. somehow he picks so up you and don't, ends it. So, you do blame the coach for not? I mean, now that they've won, yeah. it's easy now to say, ah, I don't blame the coach. And it's easy just to belt shit out when you're pissed off too, but I mean, I get it. Kalen DeBoer, Would you look, be killing him for not kneeling on the ball had on the last play of the game with one second to go, Texas won that game? Would you be pissed at Kalen DeBoer for handing the ball off? You may be pissed at him on Monday of next week when Dylan Johnson's on the sidelines not playing because yeah. of the final play from scrimmage. Yeah. That's something to talk about. That's its own so- topic, right. its yeah. own subject of conversation. We don't know that he's out, but it didn't no. look good at well, all. Well, they're, they're carting him yeah. off the field. He was banged up going into it. I'm yeah. sure he's done, but yeah. yeah. But uh, more, more importantly, I, I got to get this going here for you. I don't, I don't know if you know or not, but I it's, uh, it's that time of night, Levy. Yeah, that's my first beer of the night. Is that your first one? Yeah. You've been here for hours. You haven't have a drink? Well, you know, I'm a trained broadcaster, so I want to make sure I do my professional job sober, but I think yeah. those, I think, I think that ship sailed. <laughs> I think it's time to start throwing a couple back here. I, I, I don't know what I just your saw. Pro- did you just say your professional job? I'm a professional job? broadcaster, so I got to, you know, keep Well, we had a bunch of people here, and, and some of the young people were underage, and some of the young people were of age to drink. Yeah. And, of course, the underage guys were like... Can we drink? Can we drink? Yeah. Everybody else is drinking. And I made a proclamation. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the ruling. And okay. they said, what's the ruling? I said, Mr. Levy says, you underagers, and these are like 18, 19-year-olds that love to drink, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah, they're in college. I mean. You may have one drink hmm. for every drink that I have. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Oh, God, they're at the wrong house for that. <laughs> one of them didn't realize he was at the wrong house. It's like, yeah. When you start, that's right. And then my son went, "You don't understand." Yeah, you don't understand. The only guy who might be worth it be your father. How many drinks did your dad have? Never had one. Right, so his life. That's the only guy. Well, he did have a little sip of Manischewitz on Friday nights. Oh, he did when he did this. Yeah, when they did the kiddish, go crazy. One little tiny sip of Manischewitz every Friday. Other than that, he never had a drink in his life. Right, not one. But not not in college, not in high school. Not in his fraternity, never had one sip of alcohol his entire 80 years that we had him. By choice. By choice. I mean, no, yeah. Well, but it wasn't a religious thing. No, no, it wasn't I'm, a I'm saying. Thing. No, he just never was interested in it. He had one drink, but it kind of wasn't by choice that your brother told me about. He did. There was a story where he got pulled up on a stage. And they gave him a drink and he thought it was. And, yeah. And did I my think, brother tell you that story? Yeah. I, I vaguely remember your, your that. Your brother. And he's kind of in the moment, and he just did it. But Yeah, yeah. and he's like, oh. Kind of forced to do it, kind of peer pressured into it. But but anyway, point is, yes, that poor kid didn't know who he was dealing with tonight. Hot shot. (laughs) Yeah. The Washington Huskies are going to the national championship game of college football. I'm not going to sit here and bitch about that game because they're in the national championship game. What did we just witness? Yeah. I can't believe that game. It's Why can't there be a game that's easy? Why can't a, 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 a Seattle area team right. win a football game like a normal way? Just a normal way. 28 to 10 or well, something. Not even 28 to 10. You make an interception, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Why does it have to come down to a guy getting hurt, giving them an extra 40 seconds to go down the field to the 12? Why? We were just like staring at each other like, what the hell? 
I was convinced they had lost. I to me, yeah. there was no question they were going to lose the game when they got down to the to the 10, 15, 20 yard line. You did say this fourth quarter D, believe me, the defense wasn't great all night, but in the fourth quarter, when they needed a stop, they got to stop somehow on that last series. I guess. I, I guess. Or did Texas run out of time? Well, they threw it on fourth down. Yeah, it, they did. It was fourth down with one did. second left. And they and did have two or three in the end zone that they, they played well, yep. I guess. They blocked a couple. Yeah. Oh, they, my fucking God. <laughs> it was crazy. I can't even believe The it. craziest game. I mean, oh. you and I said there were at least two, maybe three times where it felt like, okay, here we go. Now we're going to, we're going to like break their will. We're going to kind of run away with it. They a little have bit. a knack for yeah. as explosive as they are to leave teams hanging around. That's right. We have seen this all year. I was at the apple cup. They couldn't put the kooks away when they get up 13. Yeah. They don't get up 16 or 17. <laughs> right. They get up 13 because you know, that allows the other team to come down score and make it a six point game. They just yep. leave teams hanging yep. in the Pac-12 championship. They're up like two touch. They, they, they come out like the house of fire, like a house of fire, 21, 21 and a half. Like <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like why can't they just like run away from teams? It's unbelievable. But again, they're playing in the national they championship. They are playing That's, in the national championship. Penix came back and he said, "It's Michigan against oh, Washington God. in Houston, Texas, for the for all the beans." And and I said to my kids, "This is like maybe a once in a lifetime." I mean, is there is there an maybe? Honor? Well, is yeah, there an outside is. shot? I mean, each of them, one of them is eighteen and one of them is twenty-one. Is there an outside shot that they will live hopefully long lives till they're in their eighties or nineties? And Washington will never play for another national championship of college. I think there's an out, at least an outside chance. This could be it. Yeah. Monday night could be it. Yeah. The the first or well, it's the first of its kind national championship game. Yeah. And maybe the last that they'll ever see. And one's graduating from Washington this year, and the other one is waiting for waiting for responses from all these colleges, including Washington. He might be, I don't know, he might be ending up at Washington next year. Yeah. Incredible. Hey, but they've had an, they've seen the, a Super Bowl victory for their home team they as have. well. They have. I, I waited 40 years for that they shit. Have. They already got one of those under their belt. Episode 269 and the first of 2024, as we record this literally minutes after somehow, some way, they held on for dear life and beat the University of Texas and Steve Sarkeesian to earn a berth to the national championship of college football. Episode 269, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Hello. Oh, really? Do you know Kalamazoo? That's a coincidence. Michigan? Yeah. Huh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know Kalamazoo, no. Kalamazoo. Didn't we have Philadelphia yeah. the, the, year, the week that... What's going on here? Didn't we have Philadelphia the week the Seahawks played yes. the Eagles? It's bizarre. And now we have Kalamazoo, Michigan seven days before the national championship of college football against the Michigan Wolverines and, and douchebag Harbaugh style. We're back to him again. Again, here we go. Do you know Kalamazoo? I don't. I've been to Michigan once for the Super Bowl when you went to Detroit, but that's my only experience. Kalamazoo, Michigan, area code 269, okay. is in the very, if you can picture Michigan, the hand, the mitt, it's in the southwest corner. Okay, gotcha. Yep, never been. Right, the southwest yep. corner. Kalamazoo, Michigan is in the southwest corner down here. Gotcha. Right? Okay. I looked up famous people from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you're still looking. No. Oh, really? No, no, no. Oh, okay, good. No. There's one mega, mega sports celebrity from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And then there's one guy that you've never heard of, but when I tell you what he did, you're going to say, okay, he's even bigger 
<laughs> than the sports celebrity. Okay. So which one do you want? Cool. Which one do you want first? Give me the sports figure. And by the way, for those of you listening, just relax. We're going to get back to it. Okay? <laughs> you can sense it. Huh? Okay. All those years doing radio, you can. Are, sit. If, if people are sitting here listening, oh, are they done? Are they already finished? With? No, oh, no, 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 no. And we have Seahawks, and we've got other. Stuff. We have thoughts. Yes. Norman Shumway was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in 1923, February 9, 1923. This doesn't feel like the sports one I asked. No. For. Okay. He was a pioneer of heart surgery. Okay. At Stanford University and the first ever in the United States to perform a human to human heart transplant surgery. Impressive. He's from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Thought you were gonna say he invented the piano or the Shumway piano. Norman, Norman Shumway kind of sounds like a guy. Yeah, piano. Yeah. Stein would be Steinway, maybe. Wasn't there a Shumway piano too? Or maybe no? I don't know. All Steinway. Right. Oh yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's Impressive. pretty big. Yeah, that, that's, that's not nothing. I don't know what kind of ladies' man he was, Norman <laughs> Shumway in the oh, 1930s. I'm sure. I mean, he goes to Stanford. He's He's transferring hearts from one human to another. He must have gotten a lot of babes. Are we, yes, women are totally into that, I'm sure. But <laughs> but the other guy got had to have gotten more. Oh, boy. Some guy named Derek Jeter grew up in okay. Kalamazoo, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a tie. I think you're right. He was a cross-country basketball and baseball star at Kalamazoo, I think it's Central High School, Kalamazoo Central High School, where he hit 557 as a sophomore, <laughs> That's pretty 508 good. as a junior, and 508 as a senior. Kalamazoo, Michigan, the home wow. of Derek Jeter. 557 Jita. as a sophomore. That, that, yeah. ain't, that ain't too bad. That's not bad. Probably not the JV not team bad. either, I'm guessing. And then the other guy was Greg Jennings, the NFL wide receiver, but you don't care much about him. Oh, I know Greg the Jennings. The Packers, the Vikings. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. That guy. Kalamazoo, Michigan. Got it. Oh, and Kevin Van Dam, the greatest bass fisherman in the history of bass fishing. Really? Yes, came from Kalamazoo, Michigan. <laughs> okay. And by the way, dear Michigan, uh, sorry, dear Mitch, Yeah, we're finally here, episode 269. This is a, an email I got this week. The area code means a lot to me. I've lived in it. My wife grew up in it. We got married in it. So I humbly request that you mention one <laughs> or more of the following locations oh, no. during the upcoming episode. South Haven, Michigan. Hello. Where I lived. Covert, Michigan. Hello. Where I worked. <laughs> Buchanan, Michigan. Hello. Where my wife grew up and my 91-year-old mother-in-law still lives. Wow. And Niles, Michigan. Where I drink. Hello. The site of our wedding. Oh, All in area nice. code 269. Thanks for the consideration. Zach Hemond. Has Zach Elmo, been waiting? Washington. Has he been waiting like he's been waiting 269 episodes? Well, we didn't start this until like the hundreds. I think he's been waiting like 169. He's looking at his uh, watch. Let's go. It's what time. What did I just watch? Yeah. Uh, subscribe on any podcast platform, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mitch Unfiltered, episode 269. Apple, Spotify, Google, listen and rate and review us. Hopefully five stars. It really helps. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron. MitchUnfiltered.com. $5 a month gets you... All of our four shows each week, the bonus shows like P Show with Danny O'Neill, who's there in New Orleans shooting the shit with Slick, around the NFL with Randy Mueller, the Seahawks note table. Beat the boys, hot shot, the final week of Beat the Boys. Our bet will be determined. Are you close enough? Have you checked the standings? I haven't, have you? Neither have I. I think I went two and one last week, but I don't know I if don't that's any good. I don't think you're close enough. I think you're going to have to do a Barry Manilow music. Oh, you're, you're way ahead of me. Oh, I don't have any idea. I <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> This week, I owe you three games. The final three games that will ask you to pick the entire football season. This is it. Okay. 
Bills at Dolphins, don't remind me. Seahawks at Cardinals, don't remind me. Vikings at Lions, the password, all one word, Happy New Year. All lowercase, all one word, H-A-P-P-Y-N-E-W-Y-E-A-R. Beat the boys, weekend number 18. Oh, and I have not sent that to Bill Sanders. I have to do that. I gotta I take a picture and send that to so we yeah. can set it up. Let's go. Us. Come on. I'm Guess on this episode picks. 269, Rick Neuheisel. Yeah. Who was at the Rose Bowl on, oh, wow. on Monday and then he went back to the hotel and did his his radio responsibilities. He's gonna be with us. I haven't done it yet. I'll do it after you leave. Reaction to UW Texas. Reaction to Michigan, Alabama. Seahawks, no table, Brady, Brian, and I on an absolutely humiliating Sunday at Lumen Field against the Steelers. You and I will talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. in segment number one. And my old buddy Jason Lockenfora is with us on this episode 269, NFL Insider, talking a little bit about what's going on in the NFL in the 18th and final week of the NFL season. The very first Mitch Unfiltered episode of 2024 doesn't happen without our partners, our sponsors, like John Water Stratton Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition, which ends this week, week 18, the password, Happy New Year, all one word, lowercase, a thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner, and everyone who beats all of us will win a prize. Check out new fireplaces and garage doors at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage and interest rates keep moving in the right direction. 2024 could be your year to sell or buy. And that's where Jordan Flowers and his Woodenville team comes in. They make everything so much easier. Call him directly. 425-890-2957. Daniel's Broiler, an exciting 2024 on tap. No place better to celebrate special occasions, and you really have to consider the original location in Leshy just reopened after a major facelift. You gotta love Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses, evergreen golf call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, football season almost over at Zeke's. All the specials every football game day at all Zeke's locations. We had four pizzas delivered on the first for the college football playoff semifinals here at the house. We got $10 off our order because we punched in the code PIGSKIN10. Homegrown in the Northwest, episode 269, the first of the year, begins right now unfiltered if you were the running back on that day in your prime in your best yeah. you would have had and you had the exact same situation as kenneth walker you would have gained four yards total yeah. the entire game that was the greatest 54 yard performance Ever. in nfl history yep, you're right unfiltered i am not a geno basher everybody knows that people are probably tired of it already yeah, they yeah. want me to keep bashing i don't think geno is the issue on offense now do i think he's the best quarterback in the NFL, no. Do I think that they he should be the quarterback of this team next year? I don't know. But I don't know that Drew Locke gives him any better a chance to win than Gino. In fact, I don't think that. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 269, Hot Shot Scott, is now officially underway. 
I've said it before. I'll say it again. Okay. People that are fans of the ballet, oh. they must live longer. They must. I mean, did this not shorten our lives? Well, I mean, let's start with the first game of the day. For some reason, oh, fantastic. I, I, yeah. I got invested in it. It was exhausting. Great game. And Back and forth. The Husky game hadn't even effing started yet. No. I'm already exhausted. So, yes. How I, about the quality of those two games? Oh, it's unbelievable. In I, terms of the end, how they came down. One goes to overtime. The other one comes down to the last play. I mean, college football playoffs. You know how I feel about putting Alabama in and SEC champs in and yeah, ignoring yeah, yeah. Florida State and all that stuff. But at the end of the day. They got it right. They, I, I don't know if they got it right. You don't think so? Well, I, I don't know by saying, hey, the games were great. The semifinal games are great. That means they got it right. If that's the barometer, then they got it right. I mean, what if they put Florida State in instead of well, Alabama? I mean, they probably get their no, ass kicked. Probably. Right. right. Or Liberty. Probably. Liberty. Did you watch any of the Liberty Oregon game, <laughs> no, by the way? They're not putting Liberty in. Well, Liberty fans <laughs> thought they were going in 13 and 0. They thought they were going to the Final Four. They thought no. they were in. They should be in. No. By the way, I watched the Liberty game. I couldn't yeah. wait. Liberty opening kickoff <laughs> comes down, yeah. running guys over. They scored six nothing before you could blink. Six nothing. They missed the extra point. What was the final? 45-6. <laughs> Oregon just flex their muscle a little bit and beat it, little brother. Go away. How about how about Alabama's final play call? Down seven in overtime, fourth down oh, yeah. from the three, and they run a quarterback run up the middle. Designed. Not even Designed. a draw. He's just no. going to go. Yeah. Do you like I mean, it's easy for me to sit here yeah. on a podcast after it doesn't work and say, of course, what the hell's wrong with if Nick he runs Saban in and untouched, his offensive it's Genius. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I don't like that call. There's no out at all. It's I like going to work like or the it's call. Not. No, I 100% believe that you've got to put the ball in Milrose hands. For sure. He, I mean, he's your, he's your star. Yep. He either makes you or he breaks you. Yep. But don't you give him some option of, you know, maybe get him out on the perimeter. Yep. Let him look for a receiver before he darts and runs. Yeah. Just give him some options. You essentially, it's a make or break play. Hey, yep. we're sending him up to, and it's not even from the one yard line. It's from the three. The three, yeah. So they've got to have a little hole in there for him That's to right. get in a tie. Yeah. I did not like yeah. that call. No misdirection, no motion yeah. or anything. He yeah. just took off up the middle and. Yeah, not a good, not no, a good play call. I didn't like that call. So Michigan survives. Hell of a game. So fun to watch. I thought Alabama was going to win. Mm -hmm. I thought Washington was going to win. I told you, I just didn't see it with Texas. I oh. didn't see their pass defense being capable enough to beat Washington. And it was almost the other way around. It was almost Michigan and Texas. As it is, it's Michigan but and Washington. You were right, though, about their pass defense. Penix looked unbelievable. He, like, well, he, I, I read to you six or seven names of quarterbacks. Yeah. And passing programs in the Big 12 that all threw for over 300 yards against Texas. Wasn't there a guy in the mafia? Rocco? One guy's name was Rocco. I think he was with <laughs> Iowa State. Yeah. They had five or six guys that were not Michael Penix. Right. And they had receivers that were not Roma Dunze and not Polk and not McMillan. Yeah. And I, you know, they're in the 97th ranked pass defense in college football, I just didn't see them slowing down Washington's pass offense. Yeah. Now, as it turns out, he threw for 430 yards. <laughs> By the way. And they didn't stop. <laughs> no, they did not. But damn well, they almost beat him. God. I don't know how. Penix looked unbelievable, though. I mean, can we just talk about him for a second? I mean, sure. Some of the throws he made, and you made a great point. Like, what's it going to take for NFL teams to look at this guy and it's say, incredible. he's incredible. He's going to be an NFL quarterback. What's it going to, what, what more does he have to do? Was his percentage any good? Well, I don't want to mislabel it. Uh, everybody thinks he's going to be a pro quarterback. Right. My point was, 
when you sit around and you futz through the internet and you read all these, uh, which quarterbacks are the highest ranked quarter? Who's going to be the first round quarterback? Yeah. And you see all these names, the guy from North Carolina, yeah. the guy they're going to play next week, McCarthy from Michigan. Yeah, yeah. And there's the guy from USC, Caleb. You, you, you'll, sit, you'll sit here and you'll read four or five first round names. Yeah. And Michael Penix is not one of them. Now, <laughs> It's so weird. And then I turn on the television. <laughs> yeah, what happens? And he makes every single throw. Now, right. there's obviously some reasons to this, and I'm not naive. I understand, A, his age. He's going to be older than any of those mm. quarterbacks, and that's probably means something to NFL organizations. Is that a negative? Maybe he's a little more seasoned? I don't well, know. I don't know if I buy I remember the age when thing, Chris but... Wenke came out and the guy from Oklahoma State that Mike Holmgren drafted at and Cleveland, Brandon Whedon, I think his yeah. name. There's been a few examples of quarterbacks who have been okay. a little older. He's a little older. I get that. He has been injury prone in his in his earlier days in Indiana. Yep. I get that. There's a bias in the NFL, I'm guessing, about the system. I wonder how many NFL mm. guys are saying, well, he does that in that wide open Kalen DeBoer offense features the quarterback. He's got wide receivers running open, crossing all kinds of play. He is he is showcased, and maybe a little of his success is system oriented. He throws forty times a game, so his numbers are gaudy. But does he? I don't know. I mean, that's probably what they think. You know, at the end of the first half, yeah. He was 11 of 14 for 255 yards. I think the play calling was half run, half pass at halftime. It was pretty close at least. Who has 255 yards on 14 attempts? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do the math. Yeah. He looks like he's got a great arm, strong arm. He throws from one hash mark to the opposite side. He throws out patterns, throws the long ball beautifully. Yep. What about his feet? He he evades evades people who come at him. He can take off and get you eight or nine. escape a little bit, yeah. I mean, he just looks like the real deal. Pedics. But you don't read about him yeah. in these stories. It's weird. I don't know why. We'll have to get a scout on at some point. We'll have plenty of time to talk. I can after do that. The NFL season. I can do that. There must curious. be a reason. Maybe a guy like Randy Mueller will have the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ask Randy Mueller this week on his uh, show for the patrons. But there's just not enough adjectives to describe him. Yeah. Now, the going for it on fourth down early in the game when they could have had three points, uh-huh. and the decision to not only go for it and turn down the three. But to run a wildcat, a direct snap to the running back on fourth down, no Penix in the picture against a team that you have not been able to run the ball at all, at all against to start the game. You turn down three, which is one thing. That's one thing we can debate. There's a thought that that's probably a mistake early in the game. You should take the three. But how do you set up on fourth down and take number nine completely out of the play against a team that you've not been able to run it against yeah. up until that point. Not dissimilar to the play call with Alabama where you're just running it up the middle. There's nothing fancy. There's there's no misdirection. It's kind of a do or die, same kind of play call. I know yeah. I know your point is that Penix wasn't involved. Right. Same kind right. of play call, though. I, like. I, I, first of all, I don't like the running. I don't like the call to run the ball to run at it, all yeah. to begin with. Yeah. But if I'm going to run it, yeah. I'm going to have my quarterback hand the ball off because I want the defense to at least think there is a chance that number nine will throw the ball. Yeah, right. That'll be play action. He'll throw it over the top. Or take the corner on me if I'm not careful. A little, you know, read option. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I I am not going to take the (laughs) 
the, the runner-up to the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> right. And, you and, go to and the bench, And fella. essentially say to Texas, <laughs> yeah. we're snapping it to a running back. Right. And he is going to run. Now, maybe he'll run outside. Now, maybe you would say, oh, but it, he could throw it too. Okay, great. Right, You're right. going to have him throw it instead of number nine? <laughs> right. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that whole moment really befuddled me. I, I, I didn't love the idea that they turned down the three, but I really, yeah. really hated the fact that they didn't even have number nine as a threat in the play. Yeah. How could you not do that? If you're going to go for it, have your big guns. And and if, if they stop your big guns, you tip your cap. What are you going to do, right? What, right. And, yeah. and one of the two or three reasons why you're saying to yourself the whole game while you're watching Texas get back in the game, what are we saying to ourselves at halftime and in the third quarter? Like, this game should be over. Yeah. They should be two touchdowns ahead. They should be three touchdowns ahead. They should be three scores ahead. Yeah, yeah. That you just felt like the whole night oh, they let them off the hook. Hook of horns. They yeah. let them. They let them off the hook. Yeah. They they totally let them linger in the game. Yeah. And that's why it ends up being the way it does. Tomorrow when you wake up, is there any part of you that'll think that the play calling, which is sounds weird to say for someone who roots for the Seahawks, who are they they have no ingenuity at all, and they're. Did this coaching staff, did they look a little too cute at times with the trick plays, or are you totally cool with the two trick plays that didn't work? Like, do you think that, was there a too cuteness? No, or no, I don't think so. You won't think about that tomorrow? No. Because I know people are talking about it on Twitter. Like, are they? Why are we getting so cute with this? Why, why the trick plays? Well, personally, I like it. I like the ingenuity. I like to be different and creative and try to go for it. But I know a lot of people were a little irritated by the play calling. Really? Why? Well, because there was a couple trick plays that didn't work. It's like So what? Okay, well, that's, that's an easy thing to get mad at when they don't work. The point of the matter is, is that when you show them, are we talking about when they threw the ball back to uh, yeah. Michael Penix and he underthrew him and, and yeah. the ball went incomplete. And yep. we're also talking about like a little end around flea flicker that they tossed it back to him. Yeah. Right. Well, when you show that on film, mm -hmm. Michigan has to prepare for that. You have to account for it. Yeah. yeah. So even if you don't, succeed on some of those trick plays, those wide open, innovative trick plays, mm -hmm. you can better believe that it's going to be in Michigan. It's going to be in Jim Harbaugh's defensive staff's mind. Yeah. They are going to look at film of some of this trickery that the Kalen DeBoer yeah. uses. That's a good point. Yeah. And so I think that that can only help you. It's not going to always work. And, and by the way, it's not like you were doing that in lieu of a great ground game. What was their ground game like? Yeah. On Monday night. It was rough. I mean, we love Dylan Johnson. The guy runs his ass off. And before he got hurt, I think I said to you, he's going to be so sore the next day. Cause yeah. he took a beating this he game. Did. He, he got did. zero easy yards. I mean, it, he got it hit. It was tough. It was hard. tough sledding. Very and tough. And Texas, Texas was running the ball. Now I think it evened out in the second half, but in the first half, Washington had no ground game to speak of. Yeah. And Texas was gouging them. Yep. Six, seven, eight, 15, 16 yards. And normally a game like that, my old friend Greg Roberts, the Dixie Dynamo, <laughs> yes. used to say he had some stat. Teams that stop the run and are able to run it, that combination, win the game a high, high, high percentage of the game. Hmm. And for the longest time, maybe not as much late, but for the longest time, Texas was jamming Washington on the yeah, ground. They had will. nothing. And they were running it 
at will yeah. at Washington, yep. which made me think as I watched the game progress in the first half, uh-oh, this could be a recipe. Greg Roberts, if he was with me, would tell me this could be a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah. But and he's otherwise occupied. Look where that got him. That advice. <laughs> All right, so Dylan Johnson. Do we just think Dylan Johnson's going to be done for Michigan? Doesn't It doesn't Well, he good. got hurt. He's gotten hurt a few times, <sighs> that same injury, and he's yeah. tried to come back and play the following week. Let's see. We'll just kind of see. Yeah. How do you feel if you're Dylan Johnson when it dawns on you and you're on the sidelines <sighs> that the reason that Texas may win this game is because I couldn't get up and get to the sidelines and they got an additional timeout and therefore an additional like 36 seconds. Yeah. Double whammy. I, I can't play and help my team. And I'm, I'm a starter. I'm good. Oh, and they got an extra 36 right. seconds because, I mean, yeah. Because I couldn't get off oh, the field. Poor guy. Would not have slept well. Oh. No, that would have been a rough one. So I'm happy they got the win. And oh he's off the hook. Not, not that he was on the hook. If you get hurt, you get hurt. What are you going right. to do, right? But right. we got to talk about the kicker a little bit, too, because I had to kind of pull you back to reality a little oh, bit during God. the party. For whatever reason, Mitch has decided. I don't that like the kicker, Mr. Gross. I mean, is, I, I mean, I, I I like the kicker. I'm just a little queasy on. <laughs> Why? I don't know. He I don't, hasn't done anything to. to I know. Anything. I know that. I don't know. There's something about <laughs> just irrational thoughts. I don't know. <laughs> he was money. I did though, not, right? Yes, he was. He, he was came, money that he, kid. and they needed every single one of them. Every now, single one. They didn't ask him to kick one from the fifth from fifty yards away. You'll notice all of them were chip shotish field goals. Fine. Maybe Missable. there was one from forty, but you can miss those. You yeah, I didn't want something. this game to come down to a kick. I predicted that last podcast. I thought it would come down to a kick. It didn't, but that one to put him up nine huge. felt like huge. Well, it felt like that was the game it winner. Felt like that was and, it. And what we, we found out is that was not the game <laughs> no, winner. No, it was not. Oh, God. God. Oh, what a mess! What an absolute mess! God. But they're in the national championship. They so are. That's why Penix came back. That's what he said. And I remember when he said it, I was like, eh, I don't know if they're that good, but goddamn, they're in the national championship game. Unbelievable. Can't wait. You know what I love? Just a random thought. You know what yes. I love about Roma Dunze? What? And I'm sure that there are 100,000 wide receivers who do the same thing. So I'm not saying that he invented the wheel. Don't get me wrong. But on those long balls, do you notice how Roma Dunze, when the ball is coming to him mm -hmm. on those long balls, actually acts as he's running like the ball is not coming, and then all of a sudden he makes the catch. Yeah. You ever notice that? That's true. He could be covered. That ball could be hovering over both him and the defender, Yeah. and he looks like he's just running a pattern like, ah, oh, the ball's not coming to my... Yeah. The defender is faced towards him and is probably reacting to what... He's not looking back at the ball of the quarterback. He doesn't He's give much away. You're right. Completely. Yeah. yeah. I don't want anybody to write me. I get it. Okay. I've, but I've been he does look I'm really... sure that all great wide receivers <laughs> do that. But he does that very well. Yeah. And I notice it on the long ball because he comes up with a lot of balls where he's not that open. I'm talking about the long balls. There's right, a, right, there's yeah. a lot of long balls that he's got maybe a half a step. And you figure, oh, even on a perfect throw, the defender's in a position to knock the ball away. And he pretends like the ball's not even coming. Oop, and then there it is. Yeah, there's like no panic or the, he doesn't give anything away. No. Just, he just puts his arms out and it just lets it fall right in there. Random observation. It's pretty awesome, though. You know, this is not me saying that I'm glad we don't have Dylan Johnson next week. Everybody calm down. I would love to have a healthy Dylan Johnson. But maybe now Penix will be forced to throw 45 times a game, which I think <laughs> can be a good thing for this offense. I, I want him to throw more than he did against Texas. What do you think about that? I think there, there's been two guys on that offense that have been game changers outside of everybody else, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Westover, and Dylan Johnson. Right. I think the last half of the year, the way Dylan Johnson has run the ball, especially in the fourth quarter when it's been closing time. Yep, yep. You mentioned it just a few minutes ago. The running play in the Pac-12 championship game that got them that extra first down and salted the game away. Yeah. He has been a terrific closing running back. And I think a little bit under the radar because there are so many stars on this offense, including the quarterback and the wide receivers. Yeah. And then Westover. You know, I've told you this before. <laughs> I'm buying you a you Westover know, jersey. You love that kid. <laughs> I, I, I think Westover is the perfect guy for this offense. Yeah. Especially considering who's around him, incredible. We have three guys that can that can run the the fly route. You know, they, they can get down the field. You throw that ball anywhere in area code two six nine, and he's gonna find it. <laughs> he's got great hands. Yeah, he's got great hands, and they go to him. He trusts Michael Penix Jr. Yeah. He probably trusts everybody, but he trusts Westover. He goes to Westover in big time yeah. moments. Yep. And you can count on Westover to make the play. He had a big catch. I think it was the Apple Cup where he's falling backwards and he catches it above his head. To, and then like it was a big play in the fourth quarter. But right. I remember, yeah, he comes up with big catches. And he's got great hands. And yeah, it's a it's a fun offense to watch with Penix out there throwing the ball around, man. Now, do you want to talk about the Seahawks in this oh, segment? Oh, man. It uh, almost feels like sacrilegious to talk about the Seahawks in the same segment that we're talking about the Huskies. But we have the Seahawks and we have other stuff and we have three interviews. What do you want to do? Yeah, let's, What's your call? let's mention the Seahawks. Now, I want to say that because people are freaking out about the loss, but you did say if they are going to lose one of the next two, it's better to lose against the AFC team. I actually went back on that. Oh, you're killing me. So now. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Playoffs went back on that on about five different shows when he realized it. In typical years, it would matter. Okay. This year, it doesn't matter. Okay. A loss is a loss. They got to win. Green Bay's got to lose at home to Chicago. They've got to win at Arizona. Are you rooting for them to make the playoffs? Do you think fans are rooting for that? You know, at the end of the game, when they lose the way they did on Sunday, I tend to find myself throwing my hands up saying, just lose to the Cardinals. Take us out of our freaking misery. Yep, yep. Maybe it will prompt change. You know how I feel about that. Yep. It's the same thing year after year after. But... I'm sure that when 1 o'clock Pacific time rolls around, yeah. sorry, probably 10 a.m. Pacific time when Green Bay's playing Chicago, I'm sure I'll be in my chair. Dialed in. Yeah. Rooting like hell for the Bears, trying to get the Seahawks in, even though I know they have no chance of going anywhere. Yeah, right, I know. They're going to get smoked in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. And yet, because I am a sports fan and a Seahawks fan, I will get carried away. <laughs> you get sucked but, in. Up until about Wednesday, so you got to give me to Wednesday. Okay. I'm like, I'm done with this team. Let them lose to the Cardinals. Let them miss the playoffs. And maybe somebody named Jody Allen or Burkhold or whoever will notice that it's the same shit. I feel like Phil Connors waking up to Sonny and Cher singing I Got You, Babe, on my radio every single year with this team. Phil Connors, is that you? That's it. Phil? <laughs> Phil Connors? Yeah. Ned Ryerson? Yeah. And it's every year that we're talking about how bad they are on defense. Right. That's right. Every year they can't stop anybody on defense. Every year they can't have any kind of a run defense. They're getting bullied by the Pittsburgh Steelers run offense. Yeah. Their running backs are literally taking our defenders and tossing them aside. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Terrible defense. I mean, awful yeah. defense. And how about the fact that the Steelers fans kind of take over Lumen Field? But uh, that, uh, to me, that sends the message that Seahawks fans are just like done. They're done. They're they're done. Like they're forget done. It. They're selling their tickets to yeah. Steelers fans. Have them enjoy. It's Christmas. Why does that money. not send a message to the yeah. decision makers? I know. 
they draft Devin Witherspoon. And he's great. Yeah. He's great. I wouldn't give him up for hardly anything. They still stink on defense. Yeah. They trade for Leonard Williams. Really good football player and has been good since they got he him this season. Good, yeah. But they still stink, stink on defense. Yeah. They sign Julian Love. They bring back Bobby Wagner. And yet it's the same shit over and over yep. and over again, getting pushed around. Bad defensive coordinators. How about bad clock management? Yeah, oh, yeah. How about bad use of challenges every single year? Go back to my Twitter. Go back to the podcast. Go back to the radio shows. Ever since the Legion of Boom drifted away, every single year, Hotshot, it's the same complaints and the same bitching and moaning every season. Now, somebody's going to say, here's the bring Pete Carroll back. Yeah. But we're in the mix for the playoffs every year. How many teams, how many organizations can say they've got a shot of making the playoffs every single year? Pete guides us to this point in the year where we have a shot to get into the playoffs. Mitch, you don't remember the old days in the 1970s and 80s when we were going 2-14 and 14 every yeah. year, 2-12 and 12 every Jack year. Jack Patera leading the way. Right. Yeah. You don't remember those days, Mitch. This is like Christmas every year. Why would you make a change and risk going back to the way we were in the 70s? That's what people will say. Yeah, yeah. And I can't answer that question. Yeah. If you're okay with this, if you're okay with them going through drafts, blowing smoke up our ass on how good their draft choices are, yep. then going out and getting free agents, and then going out and making trades, yep. and then ending up with one week to go, needing six teams to lose, and you right. to win. If yeah. you're okay with this, <laughs> yeah. this is what you want. Yeah. I could tell you this wouldn't fly in New York. Right. And it wouldn't fly in Chicago. But if this is what you want, I, I say go out, ask Pete Carroll to step aside, make it his decision. Right. Let him retire gracefully. And then let John Schneider, if you want to keep John Schneider, everybody thinks he's a great GM. Do they, though? I mean, I, people really? think John Schneider's a great GM. Really? I'm people think John that. Schneider's one of the better GMs. We've never seen John Schneider without Pete Carroll. Yeah. That's what you're going to hear on the Seattle uh, Seahawks no table. Let him be involved in hiring the coach. Let him have more control over player personnel than having to answer to Pete. Pete Carroll's always had the last word, okay. the last say. I say he'll go out and he'll hire Dan Quinn. You know Dan Quinn is. Sure, yeah. Defensive coordinator for the Seahawks at one point. Yeah, yeah. and Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator yeah. and waiting to be a head coach. Yep. Let Dan Quinn come in here, bring his own offensive coordinator. Yeah. Bring his defensive mind. You ready I, for I, a change. I, oh, God. Yeah. You know, they I, are so overdue for a change. I can't, wa I can't watch it every year. It's torture. It really is. It really is. It torture. almost would be easier watching three and fourteen. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Almost close. Because you know you're going to get a good pick, and they're yeah. building young guys, and yeah. you know the whole. And thing. you figure it won't be three and fourteen every single year. That's right. You're just going to keep getting better and yeah, better. You think? Yeah. God. Just stagnant. Just absolutely stagnant. Same old shit every year. Every year. Yeah. Anyway, three interviews, and then we'll do the other <laughs> stuff. Soon. She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand there's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay. I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the 
S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that trade at attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down 1%? I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Oh, really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, yeah. we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm-hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31. I'll say the 31%. So they're actually up 24%. (laughs) So you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really, there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this year. I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. Second down and 10. They're in field goal range. Pressure. He stepped away from it. Fires, and it is caught. Oh, the deflection. Jalen Pope, the touchdown. Trying to tie it for the third time in this opening half. Baxter, touchdown, Texas. Texas trailing all night long. One last chance to advance to the national championship game. Ewers loves it up. Taco Time Northwest presents, ladies and gentlemen, Rick Neuheisel. Yeah, he was at the Rose Bowl on January 1st. Yeah, he's got plenty to say about Michigan and Alabama. Maybe plenty to say about the play call at the end of Michigan and Alabama. But oh my God, as we record this an hour or two after what happened in the Sugar Bowl We here on Mitch Unfiltered have one game on our minds. Ladies and gentlemen, brought to you by Taco Time Northwest and the great corn chowder. Here's my friend, (laughs) Rick. What did I watch? Every time I think at 56 years old, I've seen it all in college football. (laughs) Something else happens. I don't know that I've ever seen an injury end up costing the team that suffered the injury an extra timeout, essentially, and almost, almost 
a losing proposition in the national semifinal. Explain, Mr. Newhouse. Oh, that was painful. That was painful. <laughs> so I commiserate with all. Oh. Listen, we all commiserate with Texas fans who thought all of a sudden they had got hope. They just, it's this miracle was delivered, right? Especially during the holiday season. <laughs> and yet, for the Washington fan that had to struggle through those final plays, especially with one tick on the clock, another throw into the end zone, you have to be wondering the merits of a rule that just penalizes the team that got injured. It's a ridiculous rule, and yet you can't con condemn Kalen DeBoer. He's been doing it his whole career, saying, I'm going to go get that first down. We saw it in Las Vegas. We saw it at uh, in Corvallis where yep. he threw the ball to yep. Odunze on the sideline. Yep. The guy says, I trust my guys, and the defense came up excellent form once again. So uh, who are we to argue? We just exult in the victory yep. and look forward now to one versus two. Unbelievable. The two undefeated teams left in college football, meaning that the final champion will be the lone undefeated team in division one, which you can't ask for more than that in the last go round of this 14. So, so you don't have a problem with Kalen DeBoer handing the ball off in that situation. Remember, all the things that you just mentioned, plus the fact this is the same Kalen the board that I think went for it on fourth down at his own 28-yard line early in the yeah. game. For God's sakes, he was going for it on fourth down all over the place. I think what I would have done, yeah. you know, given the similar circumstances, I would have kept it in the quarterback's hands. I would have told uh, this is kind of like what we call a launch play, meaning that uh, go ahead and hold offensive linemen. You're, you're welcome to it because they're not, they're going to decline the penalty. They can't let you run another play. Go ahead and hold. We're going to let the quarterback run. We're going to, you know, not hand it off. We're going to get as much off the clock and then we're going to punt it. Right. And if we get the clock down to a place where we could run out the back of the end zone and end the game, we'd do that. But otherwise we'll punt it, but you're only going to have one play. We're going to try to limit you to one play correct, correct. when we're done. But I would not have necessarily handed off because I don't want to fumble. It, the first down would have been wonderful, but I don't think that it would be worth the chance. I wouldn't have been factoring in injury. That is a, a new one for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it'll probably precipitate a rule change because that looked very punitive. Well, as it was, had he taken the ball and gone down on a knee, I did the math, they would have had to have snapped the ball on fourth down with 17 seconds to go. It would have been 57 minus 40. As it was, he handed the ball, and the play actually took a little longer, Rick, than would have right. a snap. Well, I, I wasn't suggesting that he take a knee. I was suggesting that he kind of run around run a little around bit. Run around a little bit, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then we're talking right. about you punt the ball with 14 or 17 seconds. That play takes six or eight now, right. really, what the team has is one play with all those laterals to try to get down the field and score. the. T That's what we're talking about. And recall that you have a six-point lead. So you really could actually, on fourth down, run out the back end of the state and go to four and take up however much time that takes. Right. And then take you your could. punt. You so could. you can really limit them to one play. So go back to your point, which is, what does the first down – yeah – the first down ends the game, but it, right. but it only saves you the cost of doing that business the, the, is the one yeah, play it, it, that it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. You could get it down to one play and yet it's, it's kind of a faith thing. I think he just believes in his guys. 
we got two coaches that are undefeated right now and both just go over and over about how much they love their teams. Now, who doesn't love an undefeated team, right? But it's incredible the glue that is in these two locker rooms and the way they feel about each other from yeah. quarterback yeah. to coach, yeah. from quarterback to receivers. I mean, it's just an incredible uh, twosome of teams that are going to be taking the field in Houston. You mentioned the words earlier, rules change. Might merit a rules change. And let's talk about that because since the game ended, and that's just a couple hours ago, I've been trying to figure out why this rule is in place, that an offensive team who's ahead and the defensive team is behind with no timeouts left, and it's the offensive player who gets injured, why they shouldn't stop the clock, stop the play clock, both clocks, tend to the right. player, take the player off the field, and when the player gets off the field – resume both clocks where they were, and if the defensive team has a timeout, they take it, and if they don't, tough luck. Now, interesting, my co-host, Scott Soden, said something that sounds preposterous, but it's actually true and valid. He said, what are we really telling defenses? If they are... Injure somebody. Yeah, take a guy's <laughs> leg and twist yeah. and twist and twist until you break something. That's the only way... The only way you're going to get an extra timeout and have a chance to win this game is if this ball carrier can't get off the field and thus they force you guys to take a timeout. A timeout. Most times, most times the administration of an injury is that they'll see to the uh, injured player and then they'll put the clock at 25 seconds and they'll wind it. Okay. And it'll, it'll be a running clock again. They change the rule because people feign injuries on defense trying to get 40 down to 25. They've changed it to go right back to the 40 when it's at that point in the, in, in the but deal. this is the offensive player. This is the offensive side. They no should sense. not be penalizing Correct. the offense for having it this time. Sense. Yes. And uh, that's why I think that now noticing that there will be a lot of conversation amongst the rules committee about changing that rule. And had they scored and won the game, Washington would have been eliminated by that farce of a rule. That would be changed. incredible, 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 but it did not happen. No, it so did we're not. not here. Instead, we're talking about the wonderful corn chowder at taco time <laughs> and the wonderful victory by the Washington Huskies. All right. <laughs> How do they match up against Michigan? You and I both thought Alabama would win. You know what? Before we talk about how they match up against Michigan, talk to me about Alabama's final play. I did not like it. I nope. said, I said we were all watching the game. I had a little gathering here at the house. I said, you got to give Milrow some options here. Right. Either roll right. them out, run option, throw option. I am disappointed. I don't I like to run up the middle from the three. Yeah, I am disappointed that uh, there was not a further expansion of the offensive playbook for Jalen Milrow in the world of pistol offense. The Colin Kaepernick offense that gives him a chance to give, to keep, to pitch, to throw balls out. They certainly have some of it, but they never really expanded it because that's where I think he'll make his hay. They were unable to throw the ball down the field today, Mitch. They had one explosive pass play. One. Wow. That was to Isaiah Bond, and that happened with three and a half minutes left in the first half. And by the way, that was the first pass to a wide receiver in the game. They could not get a pass off. 
They were sacked four times in the first half. They couldn't get a ball off. Michigan's front was dominating the Alabama offensive line. And I kept asking myself, why are they throwing drop back pass? They should be in this play action world with this wonderful athlete at quarterback. And they didn't really run a pistol scheme run until three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Jalen Milrow had minus two yards rushing because all the sack numbers at halftime the end of the game, he had 65 yards, even though he was sacked six times. The guy should be in the running category. They should be working him like Lamar Jackson when he was at Louisville. And I think this game would have gone, dip- gone differently. Alabama outrushed Michigan. I would never have believed that and lose the game. And that that's exactly what happened. Michigan was the more... Uh, efficient passing team, the more explosive passing team. Roman Wilson was the best receiver on the field. I would not have believed that to be true before the game started. And you said to us on multiple occasions, the team that most would surprise you if they won the national championship, Michigan, Michigan is still in it. And here we go again. Guess who's an underdog in the national championship? Vegas has spoken and they spoken many months ago. We are going to make that Washington team an underdog and they may win the national championship, but they're going to do it from the underdog role every single week. They were the underdog at Oregon state. They were the underdog, massive underdog against Oregon in the PAC 12 championship game. They were the underdog by four and a half to Texas. And now they're the underdog by four and a half. To Michigan. It's an incredible thing. And and yet Michigan, as I go through their stats, then they're either, you know, one, two, or three in almost every defensive category. Yeah. So we get that. But they played like team 133, 130, yeah. 128, 125, 124, 123. It's ridiculous. Eight of their 12 opponents over the regular season, and then their last opponent uh, in the conference title game against Iowa, who's last in the offense and got shut out again uh, by Tennessee. This they haven't played anybody, and yet Ohio State and uh, Alabama, they both have they they've solved the problem. So they're very opportunistic defensively, and therein lies their hope. Because to me, Washington is so explosive and consistently explosive. Yeah, yeah. When you look at what yeah. uh, Dunze, McMillan, and yeah. Polk did against the Ducks in Las Vegas, there were twenty-two catches for two ninety tonight. There were 20 catches for 304. I mean, it's, it's, these guys so, are really good. So, what dynamic, even Ohio State, I mean, Kyle McCord, and I love the guy because he's now the quarterback yeah, of, the, the uh, Harvard, of the Harvard of the Central New York. Harvard exactly. of Central New York. But give me a dynamic passing game. One, one team, one opponent that Michigan faced that truly was a top, let's call it 25. Washington's yeah. the best. Uh, one of the best passing games in the country. Let's talk about yeah. a top Michael 30. Michael Penix leads the country in most yards so pass per has game. Has Michigan faced anybody that shows you anything of a wide open aerial attack that they're going to see? The closest thing to that would have been the Ohio State Buckeyes with Marvin Harrison, Nemeka Ibuka and such. And they disrupted that pass pocket. This is going to come down to can the Washington offensive line hold up against the Michigan defensive front, which absolutely made life miserable for Alabama today in the Rose Bowl. Can they hold up? And if they can, then this 
the you scales asked, tip to me towards Washington. You asked the same question about those big defensive tackles at Texas. Can the I offensive did. line? And while they didn't really do a good job in the run game, in fact, in the first half, they had no running game. They they opened up some holes a little bit in the second half. They did a great – I noticed, and I noted to everybody who was watching the game with me, they did a great job in pass protection. And you if give they my, can uh, do that again, if yeah. they can deliver that again in Houston, they will – they will cut down the nets, it, it, proverbially. Yeah. They will win the championship. Yes, it's it's that close. I mean, it, it's on the it's on the uh, the precipice of of historic. In so, the last go round of the Pac-12. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. So flip it around a little bit. You're talking about Michigan's great defense, statistically mm-hmm. one, two, or three in a lot of categories against the the high flying offense of Michael Penix. And of course that will be the conversation of what everybody will write and talk about for the next seven days. And it makes sense, but often, and I've talked to you about this often when we write about a matchup like that, it's the flip side that actually determines the outcome of the game. Talk to me about Michigan's offense, McCarthy in the, in the group quorum, the group right against Washington's defense, which can, be suspect at times, can give up yards. I I give Sharon Moore and Jim Harbaugh and the collaboration of the offensive coaches a lot of credit. There was some creativity in their plan today. The the way they got Corum open out of the backfield was really good stuff. The fourth and three play, which the whole game was on the line late, uh, that was a beautiful little way to get him from one side where linebackers got him and all of a sudden they get some picks and he get him out into that flat easy and it was a huge play and all of a sudden the Michigan fans were back in it. The touchdown pass to Corum, which got him on the board to start the game. They, they've got some nice little wrinkles to that portion of the game. So I like where they're going. Roman Wilson was the most explosive player on the field today. They used him crossing and such. This has been an opportunistic Washington defense. We saw him come up big time and time again when necessary. Yeah. Right. We saw him uh, Arizona state that game looked precarious and all of a sudden it's a pick six that changes the whole thing. Yep. You, you, you go back and you see tonight, you know, fumbles, fumbles, injury deal. And they, they, we, they go knock the ball down on the final play of the game that they have found ways to help this team win the fourth down stops against Oregon when the game in Seattle, this is, going to be really fun to watch this team. J.J. McCarthy's a good player. He has not right now got necessarily all the throws. It's going to be uh, fascinating to watch him match up with Penix. And does he feel more pressure because Penix is going to put more numbers up than Milrow could get done today? Which offense is more dangerous? The Texas offense that Washington faced in the Sugar Bowl or the one they'll see in Houston and Michigan? Oh, without question, the Texas offense is more dangerous and more explosive. The explosivity is what I've been talking about, what I don't fear in Michigan. But if they can control the game and their and their defense can control the line of scrimmage, that's when they get become like a boa constrictor can just okay. squeeze you. Okay. And that's uh, that's the fear for Washington fans. Well, one last topic before we finish on episode 269. And of course, Rick Neuheisel will be good enough to be with us right after the national championship game for episode 270. Let me ask you the last question. And I think we may have gone down this road before, but I want to ask it again. People ask me all the time, Mitch, why is it that when we read these articles about quarterbacks in college that are going to be top, top-notch top draft choices, 
We always read about the guy at North Carolina. We always read about the guy at USC. We sometimes even read about the guy at Michigan. Sometimes we read about him. But Michael Penix, while people talk about him as a draft choice, a first, late first, he's never mentioned in the first three or four quarterbacks out of people's mouths. And yet, you watch these games, game after game. He makes every throw you ask him to make. He makes sideline throws across the hash marks. He makes long-distance throws look easy. He makes the mid-range throw. He escapes. He extends plays. Is it because of his age? Is it because of his injuries at Indiana? What is, is it because... NFL guys say, oh, that's the spread offense. He's the poster boy of what Kalen DeBoer is doing there. On a, what is System the reason? Quarterback, System quarterback, yeah. Why is it that he's never mentioned in that top tier of quarterbacks going to the league next year? It's a great question. I think probably the beginning traces of that uh, narrative come from the injuries, but there's nothing not to like. And I think when you watch him play, he doesn't necessarily throw it like Stabler or Young as a lefty. It doesn't look as Fluid. you know artful yeah. as maybe yeah. those guys. Yeah. It maybe looks a little clunky, but the accuracy on the over-the-top teardrop throws is uncanny. And I think NFL scouts, when they start pouring through film and see this over and over and over again, are going to keep it to themselves. They're not going to start, you know, heaping praise on Michael Penix because they like him being a late first because that might get them in position to be able to get him at 16, 17, or 18. I think that he's going to vault up. This this is not an accident, this consistent ability to whip the ball around all down the yard. You were once the quarterback coach of the Baltimore Ravens. Yep. If you were still the quarterback coach of the Baltimore Ravens and you had a choice of the North Carolina guy or Penix, who would you rather have? Uh, having watched Drake May, I would probably still lean Drake May right now. Why? Uh, just because of his athleticism, and and he's younger, and you know, there's probably a little bit more upside as you look down the road four or five years from now. But uh, I would not be at all disappointed if somebody said you're going to get to coach Michael Penix. How about Michigan's quarterback or Michael Penix? If you were the Ravens. I like Penix. I like the more diversity of uh, trajectory. Today, watching J.J. McCarthy, and I'm impressed with him. I think he's a heck of a leader. I think he's a heck of an athlete. I think they could do more with his legs. But most of those throws were all line drive type stuff. It was difficult. Although he made a play that I still am scratching my head. They threw a throwback. Okay. They had like a pitch yeah. and the tailback whipped yeah. it back to him. Yep. He made a circus catch one on hand. the throwback, yeah. one-handed over his shoulder. And then, made and the then with yeah, a guy yeah, in his face, yes. he threw a perfect yes, he dart sure did, on an overthrow. Yeah. I said, I may have to study more film on that <laughs> because that was a superhuman play. I hesitate to ask you to pick it because I know what you're going to pick. You know who you're talking to. Yeah, I'm a Washington fan. I truly believe Washington's going to win the game. I truly believe they will have the code to crack the Michigan defense. Okay. Because as I watched Alabama, there were moments where it looked like they were in control. Yeah. But they just didn't have that ability to stand in there, hold the ball, and hit a big 18-year-old dig route that just all of a sudden silences the defense and the pass rush isn't as excessive the next down. Penix in this offensive line, I hope 
uh, Dylan Johnson's available. I don't think based on what I saw that that's likely, but I just think they're going to have enough. And if they don't, we're going to tip our cap to the Michigan Wolverines and say, you know what? You were as good as you said you were. You're always as good as I say you are. (laughs) both on the sidelines and on the podcast. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week on episode 270, right after the national championship game of college football involving the University of Washington. Thank you, Rick. My pleasure. Look forward to uh, the game and enjoy the week and all the anticipation. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsay Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. I got to tell you, while my family was loving Thanksgiving at the downtown location, Lindsay's family was experiencing the less shy remodel after a couple of months. How'd it come out, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Happy holidays. Uh, it came out great. We had a great time. The space looks beautiful. The views are even better. There's more windows, bigger windows. We kind of rearranged the room and the furniture to take better advantage of the views. It's awesome. Uh, you got to check it out. You're going to love it. Yeah, we've already made plans. The Levy family has to check out the new remodel at Less Shy, the original Daniels Broiler. Now, Daniels starts with a D. December starts with a D. There's nothing quite like Daniels during the holidays, Lindsay. It's true. I mean, we talk about how we're great for celebrations all year long, but December is such a great month for celebrating. And all four locations have something unique about them during the holidays. Leshi that we just talked about, you can see the Christmas ships on certain nights. The Lake Union location, you can also see the Christmas ships. Bellevue's the gorgeous views. Downtown Bellevue's all lit up. You can do the winter wonderland, the Snowflake Lane next door. And downtown Seattle's looking good right now. It's all decorated for the holidays. So it just feels festive at all the locations and a great place to celebrate for sure. And if your office is looking for a spot for private parties, Daniel's Broiler offers the best opportunity. We love Daniel's Broiler at Mitch Unfiltered. Obviously, world-class steakhouses. It's the stretch run of the football season, which has been a good one at all of our favorite Zeke's Pizza locations Here's our buddy Dan Black. Dan, how are you? And how's the pigskin promotion going at all the Zeeks? Uh, I'm doing good, Mitch. Thanks. Uh, pigskin 10 has been super popular. It's been great. People have been using it like intended, mainly delivery and pickup orders. They're ordering it on football days, which is when it's active, which is Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So people, when they're watching their favorite team, watching games, uh, we've been getting tons of pigskin 10 orders, which as you know, is 10 bucks off an order of $40 or more. And uh, mm-hmm. like I say, it's it's specifically meant to watch football. And as we head into the uh, NFL playoffs and bowl season and stuff, we may add some days that are important football watching days as necessary, and it'll run all the way through the Super Bowl. So yeah, it's been super popular, and we expect it to keep going strong here for the next few weeks. Talking football, Dan, the last time you and I were together, your son, Hank, at the University of Texas, and here we go again, you guys banging heads in another bowl game, but this one's a big one, Dan, for the Black family. Oh yeah, Uh, Black Family Bowl (laughs) 2.0. And, you know, we were surprised as a family when it happened once. And, you know, the Huskies were pretty stoked after last year because we thought we would have perpetual bragging rights forever after winning the Alamo Bowl. But, you know, yeah, no, we're here we go again with much higher stakes. And, you know, both teams are really good. Everybody expects a good game. One thing I can say is that the Longhorn fans have a way better estimation of how good the Huskies are. They're definitely not as delusionally overconfident as the Duck fans were going into the Pac-12 championship. And the whole family will be there? Yeah, the whole family's going down to the Sugar Bowl, and we're looking 
looking forward to it. We, <laughs> I think like most Husky fans, we were, would have preferred the Rose Bowl, but yeah, we, we figured out how to get everybody down there. It won't be easy, but yeah, we're all going to be down there. That's beautiful. And what's the, what's the black family eating? What's, what's Hank when he comes home eating? What kind of pizza are we getting at Zeke's these days? Okay, yeah, no, so Hank is a, what we call a weird orderer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like I'm doing like Puget Pounders and Dragons and Wood Butchers, you know, kind of good winter type pizzas. Hank is a guy that'll do like a cherry bomb with a ranch base or he'll do a buffalo soldier with some weird additional topping or whatever. I don't even pay attention. I don't, he, he always, he, he usually gets his own medium or small and the rest of the family eats more normal stuff. Zeke's pizza, ladies and gentlemen, for football season, all the way through the Super Bowl. Pigskin 10 is the code. $10 off your order. Minimum order of $40. We love Zeke's pizza. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Smith on third down. Throws. End zone. Touchdown. Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Harris. Oh, oh my push. goodness. Harris. Crosses the goal line. He's in for a Steelers touchdown. There's Rudolph on third down. Pump fake. Then he throws. Oh. And a diving catch is made by Pickens. I'm surprised we didn't play better. We did the things we needed we, we needed in the game plan, and, and we, we called everything that we had, and we didn't stop them consistently. Both the running backs did a really nice job against us, and, and uh, it was just more than we handled on, could handle on this day. Taco Time Northwest, ladies and gentlemen, presents the Seahawks No Table. Last week of the chicken corn chowder, I'm sad to announce at all locations. I may have to have it every day this week to get me through the year without my favorite corn chowder from Taco Time Northwest. Brian and Brady, after another painful reminder of where the Seahawks are in 2023 as we get into the new year, the Steelers come in here, Brady, and essentially bully the home team. Even Steelers fans made a mark at Lumen Field. What was it like for you on Sunday between the Steelers and the Seahawks? That was ugly. Yeah, and I know the, the final score wasn't like a blowout, but that was that was about one of the uglier, I think, one-score games that you can imagine just with the way that the Seahawks got pushed around. And, and it's one thing to get run all over by you know a good offense with a balanced attack. It's another thing to do it when the Seahawks knew full well going into that game that that's exactly how Pittsburgh would try to attack them. They have a quarterback in Mason Rudolph who began the season as their third guy. They were the ninth most run-heavy offense in the NFL going into this game, and they're coached by Mike Tomlin. So there was zero mystery going into this game that they would try to run the ball all day long, and that just makes it so much more damning for the Seahawks mm, mm. that they were able to do that. Sounds like Brian from a week ago. I feel like I'm mm. hearing the exact same explanation. Brian said the same thing about the Tennessee game. There was no secret what Tennessee was going to try to do, and that's why it was really disheartening to watch the Seahawks defense not be able to stop it. Brian, why'd they lose the game on Sunday? This is a weak Seattle team. It has been a weak Seattle team for going on seven years. This is a defense that has not finished higher than 26th in yards allowed for three seasons. For They haven't finished higher than 22nd for five straight seasons. They cannot stop the run. They've allowed 136 yards or more 
Uh, the last six teams they've played, five of those six, 162 yards or more. This is a team that does not run the ball on third and short. They do not convert when they do run. They allow other teams to convert on third and short, on third and goal, fourth and goal. This is a team that has not valued the trench play, interior offensive line, interior defensive line. They have valued safeties. They have valued corners. They have valued wide receivers. And this is when it all comes home to roost. This is a bagel of a team. It's a hole right down the middle. And it is really hard to watch as a Seahawks fan. But the players are supposed to be better, aren't they, Brian? Is it the players? Is it the coaching? Is it the way the team was built? I mean, they've got good football players on the defensive side of the football. You'll tell me that Leonard Williams is a good football player. You'll tell me that Jaron Reed is a good football player. You'll tell me that even Bobby Wagner at this stage of his career is a good football player. You'll tell me that Devin Witherspoon is the best player on the team. I just mentioned five, six guys. You'll tell me that Boye Mafe is on the come and might be in the Pro Bowl this year. How is it possible that they have this many individually good football players but are as bad as they are as a team defensively? I don't know that I would tell you all the things that you just said. Okay. I'd tell you for starters. All right, go ahead. Go through through what I said that were... uh, So so Jaron Reed has has had a good season. Jaron Reed is not a top 15 defensive tackle. He's probably not a top 20 defensive tackle. Uh, Leonard Williams is a top 12. When we when we acquired him, I said he's a top 12, top 11 defensive tackle. He's not a top 10 player. Devin Witherspoon is the best player on the team, potentially. But even Devin Witherspoon, since the Cincinnati game, has not been the same impactful player he was during those couple of weeks. And so and Bobby Wagner, he's an all timer. He's a Hall of Famer. Bobby Wagner is not the same player he was, and he has definitely eroded as the season has gone on. So I don't know, Mitch, that I can point at a player and say, yes, like this is a really good player. This is an all pro player. The fact of the matter is, Mitch, the last time the Seahawks had a player make first team all pro that they drafted and that was not a special teams all pro player was when they drafted Bobby Wagner in 2012. Well, I wasn't talking about all pro players. I think that's what matters, okay. though. You I was, need I, I was to saying have. They have a bunch of good. That decent, doesn't win. Okay. That right. doesn't win. Okay. And, and I, I think I think that yes, you're right. That you played a mediocre team like the Steelers with the players you mentioned. You still should be able to win with better coaching, a better scheme, and so coaching a hundred percent matters. But it's not. It's not. It's not at the sufficient. So Brady, thing. why don't they have all pro players? Brian wants all pro players. I guess that's on the GM. That's on the guy who's picking the players. You don't get all pro players in free agency. You, you almost never get all pro players in trades. You get all pro players by drafting great and then making them great in the system. I guess that's on uh, John Schneider. Sure. Yeah. No, there's, I don't think you can deny that. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like you're going to find one of those guys every single year. That's, that's not really the expectation of, of hit rate, but uh, whatever that is, they haven't found enough of them. And, you know, that's why they've tried to go out and they, they tried, made a huge trade for Jamal Adams. And it looked like it was working for one year and then it is completely fizzled out. 
Um, that's why they spent a ton of money on Draymond Jones in free agency. And Draymond Jones looks like a nine, ten million dollar a year player who's making seventeen point whatever million dollars a year. So they have kind of put themselves in in a position to where and look certainly routinely picking later in the first half of the draft that doesn't help them. But those guys are found at various points of the draft and they just have not done a good enough job of finding them. And they've had to kind of get desperate to try to find them. And and those moves haven't really worked. So if I'm hearing everything that I'm hearing, which is they haven't been able to find the guy, they've misidentified guys or overpaying guys. They haven't been able to draft guys. How many more years you want to go through this, Brian, with the same group making the same decisions? You've got John Schneider making decisions in the draft. You've got John Schneider and Pete Carroll making decisions about Jamal Adams and trades and who they take from Denver in the Russell Wilson trade and who they pay and who they get midseason from the Giants. How much longer do you want to let the same crew continue to make the same decisions? I have to acknowledge, I have a personal relationship with John Schneider and Tracy Schneider. I know them both. I've spent time with them and I respect them. And that's hard to me to be totally objective. Even with that, I will say, I don't think there are five better GMs in the NFL than John Schneider. I don't think there then are. Then why don't fi- they have all? Pre- well, how can uh, you say one so, thing and so let then me say finish. the other? Let me, let me finish the thought. Yeah. So th- I think that the track record would merit a change. I think that is an okay. I would understand why you'd make a change. The one caveat I would put out there is GMs work in close partnership with the coaching staff to draft players that meet the scheme and meet the type of player that they want. So you see there's different offensive linemen that have been drafted from when you went from Tom Cable to Mike Solari and on. It changes based off the scheme. It changes based off the coaches. And so I do think we have never seen John Schneider without Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll helped choose John Schneider. So we don't know what John Schneider, when he were to hire a coach and he were to then work in conjunction with those folks, if that would be a better setup. I think that's worth a shot. I agree. And and I think people need to realize, and, and it's hard to know exactly what the answer to this is, but but at any rate, you know, a lot of the decisions that they've made draft wise over the years, you've got to wonder, okay, was that truly John Schneider making the call there? Or was that also with Pete Carroll, who, as we all know, has final say uh, over the roster. Now, from, from what I've been told, Pete typically lets John do his thing in the draft. But I know of at least one major decision that uh, the coaching staff sort of made, which was drafting Rashad Penny in 2018 over Nick Chubb. From what I understand, Chubb was the the scouting department, like Chubb was their guy. And then the coaching staff, and particularly Brian Schottenheimer, kind of poo-pooed it. And Schottenheimer, you know, had coached Chubb uh, for a season in college and had reservations about him. And so uh, whatever. But if that happened there, I I would imagine that similar situations have happened over the years with some high profile draft picks. I also know that Tom Cable had way more say in personnel decisions than your typical position coach. And he was not a typical position coach. He also had a you know pretty elevated title, I think associate head coach or assistant head coach, whatever that was. But a lot of those, as Brian said, a lot of those O-line draft picks over the years were Tom Cable specials, Jermaine Raffetti, I think, being the most prominent example. So <clears throat> I agree with Brian in the sense that if you are going to move on from Carroll, I do think that John Schneider is a very good general manager, even though the the draft track record recently, at least, may not indicate that. So what makes him a great general manager? I'm hearing from you guys that the problems might be that the coach overrides the general manager. 
in these draft decisions, maybe even in these compensation and trades. So what is it that John Schneider gets credit for? Does he get credit for the good ones? Anything that's worked out is John Schneider's doing, and anything that hasn't worked out is Pete Carroll over. I mean, how do I how do I balance the two? You're telling me one thing, and I'm hearing another. I, I think the way I would, like, the, the, it's hard to suss that out is, is the honest answer. But the way I would answer that is, where John Schneider has stood out has been in the later rounds where scouting really matters, where you're talking about small schools, you're talking about players that are lesser known, not the guys that are getting invited to combine that every team in the NFL knows has the pedigree. And the Seahawks have found consistently starters and sometimes quality starters in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, seventh rounds that other teams haven't. And so I, I think that demonstrates some amount of being able to find talent uh, needles in the haystack. I think, you know, it's been a while since we've had a Chris Clemens like player turnaround where you make a trade for a guy that was coal in someone's stocking and was, you know, a diamond in yours. Quandre Diggs might qualify fifth round pick for a guy that's been in multiple Pro Bowl. So I think there's been moments where John Schneider has been able to find value that other GMs haven't. My biggest issue with John Schneider is I don't think that he values the interior offensive line or the interior defensive line enough. And he has only drafted two quarterbacks in 13 years. That is absolutely unacceptable and on him. And let's remember the Russell Wilson trade was all John Schneider. That was not Pete Carroll. That was John Schneider feeling like Russell was a declining player realizing that it's just not a sustainable model to keep you know paying boatloads of money on these massive contract extensions to a guy who is losing it and so he he had to convince Pete Carroll that that was the right move Pete Carroll had to come around to that trade and we all know how well that trade has worked out so uh, my last point on Schneider is I I agree with Brian that if you're going to move on from Carroll I think you need to see what John Schneider can do when he has full reign of the front office and he has final say in personnel decisions. Now, where that might get tricky is that might limit your ability to bring in a high-profile coach who would want that personnel say the same way Pete Carroll wanted it in 2010 when he took this job. Offensively on Sunday, any gripes? Any gripes with Geno Smith? He held the ball too long and fumbled it on the sack. And that was a big play in the game. They're down seven, and that's when they fall behind two scores. Other than that, for a team that only had the ball for whatever it was, 23, 25 minutes, I don't know how much more that you could ask for an offense. He threw for 290 yards. They averaged about seven and a half yards, eight yards per play. They got a little something out of the run game. They've started using the middle of the field. Thank you very much. <laughs> how about that? How, hey. did, how does DK Metcalf look when you throw him the ball five or six times in the middle of the field? He all of a sudden starts to look like a, a really good football player, doesn't hey, Mitch. he? How about you take offensive coordinator? I'll take drafting in the first couple rounds. Okay. And Brady's not a fan, so he just has to tell us how we did. Brady, I'll Gino, write, write about it. Gino Smith. <laughs> I, I would say that Gino Smith played a really good football game on Sunday. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, 23 pretty of 33, good. 290 yards, one touchdown. Well, the lost fumble, that's always hard to that's always tough to tell. Okay, was that, you know, was that on him or was that uh, he held it a long time. He did. He kind of clutched on it, yeah. Yeah, he he played he played more than well enough to win this game. It, it's 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 so it's this is one of the weirder games uh, in evaluating the quarterback in the sense that it's almost like nothing Geno Smith could have done would have been more memorable or more more noteworthy than how bad their defense was. Like 
whatever he did was destined to be overshadowed by how bad their defense was and how bad the tackling was. But yeah, I mean, he they scored 23 points. That was more than enough to win their last two games if their defense had played uh, in this game like it did their last couple games. And so, yeah, he, he, was, he was not the problem at all. And Brian, I guess we should point out again that clock management and the use of challenges and timeouts late in the game comes back to haunt. Pete Carroll, he wastes a timeout and a challenge on a play that he had absolutely no chance. It was as clear as the nose on my face. And what happens? They need that third timeout. It makes them have to onside kick instead of kicking the ball deep. Pete Carroll, even at his best, at his peak, was never a good game manager. He was never a good guy at making decisions. I still remember Matt Hasselbeck running a quarterback sneak before halftime with no timeouts left at like the three yard line or two yard line and then ending up going into half without a points because it was I mean, he's made so many bad decisions. There are a lot of people that will say his decision to pass in the Super Bowl at the one yard line will define his career with the Seahawks. So. I don't think that's anything new. That's more of the same. What he has also lost is the ability to create an advantage with a scheme and with uh, a a talent uh, advantage that he just doesn't have anymore. And he hasn't had for years. So when you don't have that and you have bad game management, ooh, not good. When you talk about that defense, Brady, I'll come back to you on injuries, but I want to talk about the defense It may be a premature conversation because we still have a game to go. The Seahawks could still get into the playoffs if they win and they get some help from uh, the Chicago Bears, namely. But back to the defense. Wagner, will he be back next year? Leonard Williams, will he be back next year? You know, I know how Brian feels about Jordan Brooks. And so I don't want to poke the bear, the Brian the bear here on Jordan Brooks. But it sure looks to me like... In a game against the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry and a game against the Steelers and their ground game, Jordan Brooks, that's where you find out whatever value he's got to your team. You find out that value in his absence against the Titans and the Steelers. Jordan Brooks, Jamal Adams, Quadre Diggs' cap number next year, 21262000 That is Quandre Diggs's cap number for the Seahawks next year. Uh, what about these defensive players? Who are who? Who on this team is going to be back? Mike Jackson. Who's going to be back? <laughs> you threw out Mike Jackson because you you want to set me up to. Up up. Well, Mike Jackson is. I think he's going to be a restricted free agent. So okay. uh, let's start with the most important Boy, guy. He was the guys good. That you mentioned. He was really good on Sunday. <laughs> he was really good. Anyways, uh, look. I mean, let's start with Jordan Brooks. Uh, he's going to be a free agent. They've already said that. Uh, they didn't want to pay him the, what, $12 million in change that it would have cost on his fifth-year option. Now, he was coming off a torn ACL at that time. So, look, I, I think Jordan Brooks is a, a pretty good player. Is he a, a Pro Bowl-level player? We have not seen that. The guy makes a ton of tackles, does not make enough, in my opinion, enough of those splash plays. And we have seen some of those. He had the pick six in the Thanksgiving game. He's had more sack production this year. But... To me, there's not enough splash plays to, to give that guy $14, $15 yeah. million dollars Yeah, but even, Bri- even Brian might admit, even Brian might admit that it might not be bad to have him back on a one-year $12 million contract next year. I would do that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, you'd want him back. Brian, you'd want him back on a one-year $12 million. They should have picked up the option on Jordan Brooks. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, 
I wouldn't argue about a one-year deal for Jordan Brooks. For $12 million? That's a deal for that guy. I, 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 but I, I don't think that's real. I don't think that that's going to be what he goes out on the open market. No, you're no, no, be- no. Obviously, the only way you're going to get him for that was by picking up his fifth year option, yes. which they didn't do. Oh, I, I thought you meant if, if you're somehow faced with that decision now. I no, I no, understand no. the decision to not pick up the option when the guy was coming off a torn ACL I understand. from January 1st. And there was almost, we thought, no chance he would be back by the season opener, which he was. Yeah, he is. He played better this year and more this year than I think anyone realistically expected. He also has never made a Pro Bowl. He has never really sniffed that. He's never been one of the top 20 linebackers in the game. And this team cannot afford the worst thing this team can do from a roster building perspective is sign guys that are not difference makers, that are not elite players, way above average starters to long-term deals. You can't do that. They, you have to basically, if you're playing poker, you got to throw those cards in and draw again and hope that you, whoever you get next on a rookie deal or maybe a free agent hits because Jordan Brooks, mm, mm. he's not going to be the guy that gets you from good to great. He's like Leroy Hill. He's like Anthony Simmons. He's good. He's not great. Uh, with Jamal Adams, the cap number is $27 million. I, I just don't see how he is back. And then somebody, some wise guy on Twitter said, well, they could easily, easily lower that cap number. No, you can't. I mean, that that's that doesn't work that way with players like Adams. You can lower a guy's cap number uh, by extending him if he's a guy that you feel like is part of your future. But extending a guy means giving him more money, committing. Right. You're not going to commit more money to Jamal Adams. You're also probably not going to get him to take a pay cut. That is way no, he's easier done. said than he's done. done. Bobby Wagner. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I think if Pete Carroll is not back, then I don't see that. I, I think the, well, the Pete the, Carroll is probably going to be back. So Bobby Wagner. <laughs> Okay, you you got some inside sources well, telling you that. Well, That's you have fine. inside sources telling you that the smart money is always on Pete Carroll being back. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you're going to tell me that Jody Allen's going to fire him at the, I, on Monday after the Cardinals game. He's going to get I'm fired. Just, I'm just saying. My point all along has been that there's not a, a person in the media who knows what Jody Allen is thinking, and, and that's so why you got to assume Pete. Car- that's why I assume that Pete Carroll's going to be back. Until I'm told otherwise, I'm going to assume that Pete Carroll is the head coach of the the football team. Bobby Wagner. I would guess no, but the, Leonard, I don't Leonard know Leonard Williams. I would guess slightly trending towards yes, but that's going to be hard because what's going to happen is his agent is going to say, okay, uh, my guy, Leonard Williams, is playing more than Draymond Jones. Every game he outsnaps Draymond Jones. He's clearly outproducing Draymond Jones. He's a better player than Draymond Jones. So why would they accept a deal for less than what the Seahawks are paying Draymond Jones, which is $17 million in change? Now, can you afford to, to pay him a $20 million a year contract when you're already paying Jones and Yuchen and Nwosu in the $17 million range? That might be hard, but He's their best defensive lineman, and they've got to find a way to make that deal work. Can right. you afford not to when you traded a right. second-round pick that's now up in the fifth, low 50s <laughs> to not bring that guy back? Hey, you Brian, got, are you ready yeah. to cut Quandre Diggs and his 22? Oh, absolutely. Late? Yeah, he's done. Absolutely. I don't I don't know that they will, but I 100% would. I, I think Tyler Lockett's another guy you've got to have. $27 million yeah. cap hit on Tyler Lockett. Yeah, next year. I, I think you've got to move on from somebody. I think Will Disley, like there's a lot of these guys that are just – either at the end of their careers or just not difference makers. How about so, Gino yeah. Brady? That is for a while. That has seemed like a 50, 50 proposition to me. And I, I know there's people in the building who have been kind of leery of, of the way he's 
been playing. I, I know there's people in the building who really support him and think that he is a, a smart and accurate quarterback and that you can go a long way with a smart and accurate quarterback. Uh, the key date in all of this is going to be February 16th, I believe it is, which is five days after the Super Bowl. That's when uh, the 12.7 million dollar salary for next season would become fully guaranteed if he's still on the roster. So there's uh, about a month to go, and and uh, the Seahawks basically have to make that decision by February 16th because they're not going to cut a guy after already having his salary guaranteed. Is there a better option, Brian? I don't think there is. I, I think that what has to change. There's so much focus on Geno Smith. I think that's misplaced. Geno Smith, he's got a two-year deal left, essentially, right? They can get out of it after each year, and he should be around as far as I'm concerned. He's performed well enough. He is a top 11, 12 quarterback in the NFL. That's fine. Really? You think that? Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. I have no question about that. And I think if you go by almost any metric, he he qualifies. You agree that with regard. that, Brady? Top 11 or 12 quarterback <clears throat> in the NFL? I'd have to look at the names. Boy, there's I, I a would, lot of people on Twitter that would not agree with that. Yeah. Top 11, 12 quarterback. Would, they wouldn't even say top 32 quarterback in the NFL. Well, he's obviously <laughs> that. Yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, he's he's probably top half of the starters. So, you know, somewhere 16 and, and better than that. But, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look at the names to really Brady, have a I valid just, opinion on that. Brady, just one, one sec. I just yeah. want to say that the, it, more important than Gino is that they got to draft. they got to draft the yes. position. They've got to be cultivating the next quarterback. So that, that, I think, is more important than what they do with Gino. Brady, I didn't see the Abe Lucas injury. How did he get hurt? It's obviously an injury to the same knee that uh, has given him a problem the entire year. Uh, any word on Lucas's availability Sunday, Evan Brown's availability. They are really decimated on the offensive line. I, I don't know if we any of us think they're going to beat the Cardinals in Arizona after what we just saw on Sunday. What about the injury situation, the injury bug? Yeah, so with Lucas, it was, uh, you know, some Pete Carroll didn't say it's a re-injury per se. He said he kind of wrenched his knee a little bit. It is the same one that caused him to miss 10 games. Uh, and Carroll just said he, he didn't have enough power uh, to, to play in it. So, I mean, that, that that's concerning, obviously, because we all know, I mean, that this has always kind of sounded like a potentially chronic situation that maybe isn't something that's going to be easily fixed by rest or maybe even not by surgery. And so the fact that he's still dealing with it and it sounds like the same thing he has been dealing with, that's concerning. And it, it yeah, I asked Carol, you know, if, if there's any early indication on how serious it is and he said no. So really no word on what his chances of playing in Arizona are going to be. Anybody else that we need to know about? Evan Brown? Yeah, it was Evan Brown was the other guy. I think Artie Burns left the game and then came back. Okay. And then uh, Ken Walker the third kind of re-injured the shoulder uh, that he's been dealing with since the Eagles game that has mostly kept him out of practice the last two weeks. And so um, that's going to be something to monitor this coming week as well. Brian, what do you want on Sunday? You're the Seahawks fan. I'm the Seahawks. What do we want? Do we want them to go out and bash the Cardinals? Do we want help from the Bears? Do we want the Seahawks to slip in to the very last playoff spot in the NFC and, and then go get their asses handed them in the, uh, in the first? What do we want? Do we want to see other players? Do we want to see Olu Oluwatimi? Do we want to, what do we want to see? Um, there's not much I want to see from this team in that final game. I guess as a fan of the team and the franchise for all these years, I'd like to see that there is some amount of pride in how the team plays and that shows up in how they tackle, which has just not shown up most of the season. It shows up in how they block and create space in the run game. 
I enjoy watching Geno Smith play. I'm I am a clear Geno supporter and and enjoy watching that guy play the position. So I'll, I'll probably enjoy watching him throw the ball around a little bit. But you know, if they win and Green Bay loses and they sneak in the playoffs, I mean, is that a good thing? Like, does that really prove anything about where this question. team's going? That's why I'm asking the question. Yeah, I, I I've seen what I need to see from this team, yeah. and I've seen not just from the last few weeks, but from the last five or six years. Pete, if Pete Carroll's back, Brady, is Clint Hurt back? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it would be hard to make a case based on what you saw and yesterday. And at what point? At what point, if he keeps firing defensive coordinators, <laughs> at what point? At some point, it comes back to the guy in the mirror, doesn't it? That totally, he, that, yeah. That, that that he's a defensive guy, and that he keeps hiring these guys one after the other, and three years later, he fires them, and he brings another guy in, and then he fires them. What does that really say about the guy and the man in the mirror? Well, it, not only has he fired two different defensive coordinators since um, you know the Super Bowl years, he's they've also you know, changed their scheme, at least up front. And, and I mean, they've, they've changed their scheme again. They've tried making the huge trades for a bunch of defensive players, whether it was Jamal Adams or uh, Leonard Williams or Genevieve Clowney, Sheldon Richardson, uh, Quandre Diggs. Uh, yeah, and some of those moves individually have worked out, but by and large, everything that they've tried on defense, it just hasn't really worked. And the only thing they haven't tried is, is changing the guy at the very top. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to answer your question, Brady. I didn't answer it before, but I'll answer it now. What kind of a coach would come in here and cede all of the personnel decisions to the general manager? Dan Quinn is your man. Dan Quinn is John Schneider's man. If they let John Schneider run the roost, pick the new head coach, he brings in Dan Quinn, and Dan Quinn trusts John Schneider. That's the answer to the question. And I think there's been some thought or assumption that Dan Quinn has kind of been waiting around in Dallas for Jerry Jones to eventually fire Mike McCarthy. But, I mean, they're going to maybe win that division. They're going to be one of the higher playoff seeds. So that's obviously not happening anytime soon. So which means this might be Dan Quinn's best option for a head coaching job. And can I, I leave you guys, and I believe, I leave you guys yeah, with, yeah. with one stat around this? The last four negative point differential seasons for the Seahawks. 2010, that's Pete's first season, negative 97. 2009, negative 110. 2008, negative 98. Both 2008 and 2009, new coaches after each of those seasons. Then he had Pete's first season, and now 2023, negative 39 point differential going into this final game. So this would be the first time since Pete Carroll's first season, and the only time that wasn't a first season of a head coach in the last 20 years that you have a a negative point differential, and you don't get a new coach the and, next season. And that's the Seahawks no table for episode 269. Brian Nemhauser, the Hawk blogger. Happy New Year. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mitch. Happy New Year, man. And there's Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Follow him closely. Lots of news around the corner. Thank you, Brady. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, 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 I smell some better mortgage rates. Finally, that brings in Jordan Flowers, Woodenville office, cross-country mortgage, back on Mitch Unfiltered. Rate drops the way that he used to drop passes, 
at East Lake High School. <laughs> Ouch, man. And, with the, that and, with the, and that's why he's in the mortgage business, ladies and gentlemen, and the phone should be ringing, right, Jordan? Well, at least something's ringing off the hook. Yes, it is busy. Phones are ringing like jingle bells. It's awesome. We're having a great time here. We're seeing rates already down about a point, point and a half. It took us six months to lose about 300 basis points on the 30-year 6% coupon, and we're, we gained that back in the last 30 days. So wow. things are looking good. Significant. How have the rate drops affected the market that you can tell? And how about new cross-country products that we should be thinking about as we head towards the new year? Yeah, the rate drops have already impacted the market with uh, buyers getting a little more excited and confident and writing up offers and getting under contract now since they're already seeing probably $500 to $1,000 a month savings in a 1% to 2% drop in rates from where they were just a few months ago. Yeah. And refis are going to be coming up here soon, especially as the Fed starts to cut rates. So things are definitely picking up here. And as far as new products go, there's a bunch of products that have been coming out. One specifically that we're very excited about moving into next year is a construction loan, but a construction loan for investors that are looking to build five to 10 unit mixed use properties, somewhat hard to come across. And uh, we are offering it, I believe we're one of maybe the only lender in the area offering it right now. So mixed use properties properties, five to 10 units, investors that want to build those apartments or condos and sell them or rent them out. Yep. We've got that for you. So up to $4 million. So I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener who's either looking at a refi or making a purchase. And I want to talk and ask questions to Jordan Flowers directly. I call him where? You call me or text me directly at 425-890-2957. There it is. Jordan Flowers. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. We love them. Great, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Everybody's talking about him as an MVP candidate. He's the betting favorite. You know what I mean? Like, this kind of reminds me of, of like, Saban saying, you know, oh, my God, you know, nobody thought we could win and we won. Well, I don't know. Everybody's kind of saying you've got a really good shot to win. Like, you're, the, you're literally now the betting favorite. Episode 269, what a nice way to begin the new year. The first show of 2024 for years, he appeared weekly on a certain radio show, a morning show in Seattle. Here's Jason Lockenfora. Happy New Year, Jason. How are the Lockenforas? Happy New Year, buddy. Oh, we're good, man. I can't complain. How about you guys? We are, we are good except for our favorite two football teams, or my favorite two football teams, the Seattle oh, Seahawks. Oh, yeah. And the Miami, Miami Dolphins. Dolphins. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Where do we begin? Let's start with the uh, let's start with the Seahawks, the team that everybody cares about. No one cares about my Dolphins. Embarrassing on Sunday against the Steelers. Ripped apart and now looking like they may miss the playoffs this year. The big debate out here is, is it time for change? Well, I think change is coming. It's inevitable, and it's going to come with the sale of that team, which my GM buddies continue to think is happening in 2025. You know, if I was going to real early handicap the next three months of Seattle football activity, I think it probably continues to center around the same two individuals it's centered around throughout the totality of this unprecedented era of Seattle football. What that means a year from now, I think could be very, very different. We know what it's going to cost, right? With, with these, these prices escalating. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's buying the whole kit and caboodle and all these franchises, I don't know, 
eight billion, uh, nine. I I don't know, but whatever it is, they're probably going to have some pretty strong ideas about how to move it forward, especially if it continues to to look like a a very good football team, right, and in a very accomplished organization, but maybe one that's not necessarily on the cusp of winning. At all, that's what it's ultimately all about. We all know Pete Carroll and the, the length and breadth of that career and all he's accomplished, but nothing is forever. So, do I think we're talking about Pete Carroll a year from now, nine, twelve, eleven months from now, the way people have been talking about Bill Belichick and in, in, in an imminent departure? I think it's likely, but I'm not sure anything happens until then. So you're hearing 2025 and not and not yep. before, huh? Yep. Any insight on who that might be? To buy the team? Yeah. It's becoming increasingly difficult. Now, eventually they'll change their rules because these billionaires don't like, you know, the the Saudi money going to live golf and going to the WWE and all this stuff. So don't worry. Uh, soon enough, they'll, they'll lean completely into that trough, too, and roll around in it like fat pigs. <laughs> um, they're not there yet, but it's coming. You know, they'll have an apple in their mouth, the whole thing. Paint your own visual. Uh, um, you could put David Tepper's face on it if you wanted to. Oh, I mean, throwing drinks at huh? people? Throwing drinks at people? Like, yeah. that's that's who's led into the Billionaire Boys Club these days. Wow. But, yeah, eventually, look, individuals aren't going to have the, the, the wealth required to do this under the sort of rules as they exist. But don't worry. They'll be softened, and they'll eventually be sort of consortiums and various uh, amalgamations of – wealthy people from here and abroad. I mean, I'm sure they'll be right. Like Bezos, right. You'll hear that 9 million times. I'm sure mm-hmm. where, where he, he really is in terms of those pursuits. I'm not sure there'll be plenty of people who can put it together mm-hmm. who will, but yeah, the longer that goes without happening, I, I do wonder in the next calendar year at some of these league meetings, just how quickly they lean into the, the prospect of, well, if the Toronto Blue Jays are owned by Rogers Communication and if Live Golf is owned by blah, 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 when do we let that happen too? Because we, we obviously want these prices to keep going crazy because that's what we make our money off of when we sell. What about the team that's right down the street from you? Can they be stopped, the Baltimore Ravens? Anybody can be stopped, yeah. They've, they've lost games this year. Now they've, they've led all of them at the two-minute warning, which is pretty phenomenal. And you can make the case that this team is five – plays, you know, five, 50, 50 plays away from sitting here, you know, in a position that nobody's been since the, the Tom Brady, Randy Moss Patriots, but they're not, and they have lost. And generally they've lost two inferior teams with fourth quarter meltdowns and kind of taking their foot off the gas. Uh, and, and how much of that's mental and how much of that's physical, I don't know. But, you know, you go back and look at how they lost at home to Gardner Minshew and how they lost to, geez, I think it was still Pickett back then. It was a long time ago. To Pittsburgh and how Deshaun Watson went 14-14 of 14 against them in the second half and the Browns hung 39 on them here. It, it can happen. They have their warts. You get, you better come with your hard hat ready to run the ball. I mean, it's it's you you've got to keep the game close and late. You've got to have volume in the run game to do that. And then sometimes even that's not enough. I mean, no one's going to talk about what Miami and San Francisco did to them on the ground because in the second half it didn't matter because if you're running, they're letting you run because they've got the big lead. But in the first half, you know, you 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 saw they they yeah. can't defend yeah. pitch plays really at all. They're bottom three in the league defending pitch plays all season. Uh, and even teams that, like Arizona did it to them, gutted them inside and out, 
and Connor didn't play in that game. That was DiMercato, you know, and Dobbs. You know, Kyler Murray wasn't back yet, so it's not like you were. They were doing it with elite, elite athletes and option football. So there's a script there, but boy, when Lamar's playing as well as he is, and the offense is doing what it does, it's hard to keep those games as close as late and late as you need to be able to run the ball 35, 40 times on them. But the run defense is not is not special. Outside of that. You know, then there's the whole rust versus rest thing, right? And and what does that look like and how do they play this considering the last time they were in this position, 2019, with an MVP quarterback and a revolutionary offense, they got punched in the face by Tennessee the, the first time they played football three weeks later. I'll be interested to see who plays against the Steelers and who doesn't. I still think Harbaugh sits pretty much everybody. At home, you can pencil them in for 30-plus points. I mean, that's been the reality at home all season. And I'm not sure that that changes. I'm not sure. I'm sitting here thinking about this. If you offered me even money right now on Baltimore versus San Francisco in the Super Bowl, the rematch of the Monday night game, I might take it. I, I just close my eyes. I'm trying to visualize another combination other than Baltimore, San Francisco in the Super Bowl. Who's beating Baltimore in the AFC and who's beating San Francisco in the NFC on the way to the Super Bowl? Well, I, I think it would take a familiar opponent. I think in the NFC, I would say just look right at that coaching family tree and look at Sean McVay. That's a pretty physical team. They've got a legitimate offensive line. Even talking to some scouting people this week, because I wrote about the Rams in the Washington Post, and I'm like, you know, they're looking pretty damn good. And, and I had one guy whose team faced them in the last six weeks say, eh, I still think if you blitz the hell out of them, you know, you can get Stafford to regress a little bit. And, you know, well, Wink Martindale blitzed the hell out of them, blitzed them 75% of the time. You know, and the dude threw for 320 and should have thrown for 350 because McVay took his foot off the gas a little too soon, as he tends to do. But, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And I know Kyle's had his number. But that's a balanced Rams team, and that's a Rams team that's built to go on the road. I saw it here with my own eyes in the rain at 10 a.m. your guys' one, time. Yeah, there's one problem. In Baltimore, and they hung 30 and should have beat them in regulation, right? And they just went to New York and scored 26. It should have been 30-plus. And then here, it's, it's Flacco and the Browns. I mean, I just told you, the Browns came oh, yeah. in here and scored 39 yeah. points six yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Like, who could yeah. do it? You think yeah. he cares? Yeah. He could come out and throw consecutive pick sixes. And pass number three will be a 60-yard bomb to Amari Cooper. There'll be no let-up. There'll be no – like, they're going to throw the ball. They're not going to sit here and run into a brick wall. And, you again, you can run on the Ravens. And they ran on the Ravens. But they've passed the ball more than any team in the league the last seven weeks. And that's not even Flacco. It predates them. They were throwing 40 times at Denver with Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So – the levy will break a time or two. And Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith, those guys have gotten off here before. Like, I, they've got the pass rush. Jim Schwartz knows this organization inside and out. He was an intern with the Browns, and you know, he going back to right before they moved to Baltimore, Mount St. Joe. He's from this area, knows everybody in that organization. Like, five weeks ago on my radio show, I was like, wouldn't that be cool? And I'm like, okay, be careful what you ask for. Because <laughs> when Flacco throws for 425 with four touchdowns and three picks and everybody's on pins and needles in overtime, you know what I mean? You tell me how much fun that's going to uh, be. So uh, I w- that's the one, man. Like, okay. okay. That's, that's the one, I think, more than anybody else in this field. And they've they got nothing to lose. They've got nothing to lose. they got to get to The Browns have to get to that matchup. And the Rams have to get to that matchup. they gotta sure. be, they got to beat other teams. I mean, the Browns, 
Yeah, I think the Browns can well, win you, a you game. You know that none of those other teams are that great because yeah. you're the one who started yeah. this whole thing by yeah. saying That's I would true. go chalk, and That's I agree true. with you. It's true. It's totally true. I don't know that I I trust the Rams enough to win one or two games to get to. They're going to play the 49ers, I guess, this week in an exhibition game because the Rams are right. in. That's not going to yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about the Lions-Cowboys back on Saturday night? Is this as clear and as flagrant as it seems? Do the officials, do they just take the game away from the Lions? appears to me that that's what happened. Wow. I mean, I say that as a Lions money line better, but I that's not that's not the reason why I'm saying it. They screwed up. They screwed up terribly. And, you know, this league doesn't invest in the guys who throw drinks on the peasants in the, you know, sitting in front of the press box. Those guys don't care about officiating. And until they care about it, really care about it and invest in it, nothing will change. There's no NFL officiating year round campus. There's no training facility. If you peeked your head inside, you know, central command in New York, yep. You'd be surprised by how many people you don't recognize who've never had anything to do with officiating in their life. You know what I mean? And are glorified interns living in New York off of Cheez-Its and Capri Suns because they're not even paid a living wage. That's what they think of officiating. So, you know, I mean, there could be an, there could be an officiating hub in every stadium in, in, in the league if, if you invested in the infrastructure, you trained people sufficiently, you know, you kept the Blandinos of the world from leaving for more money for networks by, again, actually paying them what they're probably worth. There's been a brain drain on the field and off the field, and they don't care enough to invest in anything to significantly change it. So the same group of guys are back every year because they're not going out of their way to develop new guys. I mean, they let the colleges do it for them, right? I mean, the whole, the whole, I mean, there's inefficiency after inefficiency after inefficiency in how you get to the point of even assembling these crews. So why the hell wouldn't there be inefficiency after inefficiency after jackassery after jackassery when they're actually trying to adjudicate these things in real time? You get what you pay for. Changes the whole hierarchy of the NFC, doesn't it? Lions win that game as they should, you're telling me. They're in position yeah. to win... I don't know, the two seed, maybe even the one yeah. seed if the Rams could beat the 49ers. There's no counter argument wow. to that. Wow. That's reality. Wow. Now, look, we can also argue whether the game should have ever got to that point. Why Ben Johnson didn't give one of those running backs a chance to touch the ball, I don't know, two or three times in a row and see what that looks like. That's not the sole reason for that outcome, but, I mean, you can't have. That's the whole point of those meetings. Like, it's just amazing to me how much stuff this league gets wrong that could be nipped in the bud before the game starts, right? They couldn't handle the inflating of balls correctly in a meaningful football. Like, if they knew what they were doing, then the flight game never happens. You know what I mean? There's, there's, don't even, whatever. I'm done. <laughs> Did Sean Payton actually find a way to make Russell Wilson a sympathetic figure nationally in the NFL? I think so. <laughs> I think so. The lack of a bedside mat. You know, a lot of guys have been warned and threatened and told about potential take a haircut or this or that or, you know, do or die situations. You know, had ultimatums crammed down their throat. But it, it sounds like this one was uh, – and obviously, like, Sean's smart enough not to do this himself. The two people most centrally involved in this – I don't think we're going to be back in that organization next year anyway. And now it's like even more convenient to just say, hey, you guys were here before we got here. You're part of the stench. You got to go. There's certainly better ways 
to massage a situation like that. But like, were he and Russ ever going to be a long-term marriage? No. I mean, it would have taken a, an incredible reversal in time and winding the hands of time back and having Russ look like he did three, four years ago. And that was unlikely. Last question. What happens in New England? And does Belichick coach again somewhere else next year? I've been talking to people about this for weeks. And the same people who told me in October that it's definitely over there are the same people telling me there's not a room at the end for this guy, not as a head coach. The fit isn't there. Not going to happen. And I'm inclined to believe them. I, I think he could go be a czar, you know, head yeah. of football, yeah. VP of football operations. He can do some of the stuff that his buddy, the tuna did in his mid seventies. But I, I just, at age 72 season, I personally don't see the fit and I, I don't think it's going to materialize. I don't think it's happening for Harbaugh either. Really? By the way. Yeah. I don't, I don't no think anybody chargers? winks back. Chargers? No. I would be really surprised. Really? Yeah. The owner's son is the team president. And I, I don't think he wants to play second fiddle on anybody. I just, I, I don't think he's going to have somebody telling him how to do everything. I, I don't think that's, Oh, and we're going to pay him 12, $14 million a year to boss us around too. I, I don't, I don't see it. Hmm. So, so what you're saying is my guy Shula's record is safe? Well, I think so. <laughs> I would have never I guessed. So. A couple of years ago, you would have told me Shula's record is safe? Now you're telling me Shula's record is safe. Thank Tom Brady for getting out of Dodge. <laughs> Thank Matt Patricia. Yeah, yeah. Thank uh, Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Who are they going to hire? I wouldn't rule out Mike Vrabel. Oh. I don't think Mike Vrabel's back in Tennessee. I think Mike Vrabel's in New England or Chicago. And no Harbaugh. I don't see it. Maybe Chicago, I mean, Chicago maybe he gets a little bit of a, a wink there, but I don't think so. I love Jason Lock and Four. Always have. Been great to me all through the years. Radio oh, show you're the man. podcast. Hey, happy new year to you and your family. All the very best to you, and we'll be, we'll be in touch in the future. Thank you so much. My pleasure, buddy. Anytime. Happy new year. As they say, tis the season, fireplace season. Fireside Home Solutions. John Waterstrat is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, John? I'd imagine everyone on your team over there is jolly this time of year. Yes, they are, and they're really busy. We're uh, <laughs> we're over there getting everybody stocked up for the season, not only for installation stockups, but also for uh, product stockups. So we're ready to go and serve people here in the Northwest. And you also deal with a lot of repairs. We don't talk about repairs that often when you visit the show. Talk to us about that. Yeah, either way, if tune up a fireplace, repair a fireplace, or if you need us to replace it, just mm -hmm. give us a call. Our unit that Fireside installed has been working overtime here at the house. What's the timetable in the heart of these winter months from Fireside Home Solutions soup to nuts? We're doing great right now. We have uh, installers ready to go. We have product ready to go. So anywhere between two and three weeks, we can get a brand new fireplace wow. put in your house. Wow. First, the magnificent remodel in Bellevue. Now, what am I hearing about adding the Spokane market to the team? Yep, we just opened up our Spokane market. We're about three months uh, new to that market. We're going to be doing the same things we do over here in the Northwest. Everything from the top to the bottom, installation, service. Looking forward to serving that community. When do you think the showroom will open? We're hoping sometime here in March and April. We're going to okay. go over and do some yep. layouts. So, yep, we'll be excited. I think Mark Few needs to treat himself in Spokane to some cozy warmth after his cold trip to Montlake a few weeks ago. <laughs> so south to Portland and now east to Spokane, fireplaces, gas, electric, wood burning, garage doors. Begin your search with a great sponsor of Mitch Unfiltered, FiresideHomeSolutions.com.
Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 269, Hot Shot. You want to kick or you want to receive? I'm going to kick to you. Go. Saw two movies since the last time we were together. Really? Yes. One I thought was good, not great. The other one, you're crazy if you waste your time, and then you're going to watch it win Academy Awards. That's right. Okay, which one? Yes. You want to guess? Uh, I went to the theater for one, and I watched the other one here on Netflix. I actually figured out how to do it. I'm proud of myself. I know the one you're thinking of that I'm, I'm just not going to watch. Is Mark you're, Ruffalo in it or no? No, no, no. Okay, then I'm no, wrong. Bradley one. Cooper. Oh, yeah. Oh, which one is Leonard that? Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, yeah. Eh. Maestro, it's called. Not good. Big uh, controversy because he's a Jewish guy and they made him, he did a prosthetic nose. Yeah, he wanted yeah. to have my nose for some reason <laughs> yeah. in the movie. He's being talked up as he's the director and the star and he worked on this for five years. Yeah. And his performance, I mean, if you looked at his performance in a in a vacuum, you would say it's a pretty incredible performance. Yeah. Not that I know what Leonard Bernstein was like, the conductor, the famous conductor, yeah, yeah. but the movie. Boring. If you spend one <laughs> second of your time watching this movie, That's quite you have spent too long. Really? Oh, okay, do not well, watch this movie. I saw the Barbie movie at home, and I love that. I thought that was great. That's the one I saw at home. Yeah. Oh, you did, you watched the Barbie movie? No, recently? the Maestro is what oh, I the saw. Maestro. Oh, okay. the Maestro is what I saw at home. Yep. The one that I saw in the theaters that I would say good, not great, that mm -hmm. everybody around here is going to watch and nobody else oh, in America yeah. is going to watch is... The George Clooney directed... Boys in the Boat. Yes. Saw it. And... Yeah, a little corny. Was it? It's a little corny. Sometimes those can be corny. Yeah. They're, they're, you have to really finesse those great stories because it can be a little cheesy. Yeah, you know what's going to happen even the, if you yeah. read the book, if you didn't read the book. You know the results of the rowing team in 1936 and the right. junior varsity team from the University of Washington. But it's cool. It's cool to watch it because it's a local story. Would you love it if you flavor. lived in Texas? No. <laughs> That's it? I probably would not have gone to see it. If I yeah, right. A movie about rowing? No way, man. I'm out. Uh, maybe, maybe not. It had Chariots of Fire-ish. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I watched that 24, the Jackie Robinson movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was terrible. Did you? Oh, I, I actually liked that movie. Uh, it was over the top like and yeah, corny. Bit, yeah. I just think th those movies are hard to do well, man. They really are. But with Clooney involved, I thought maybe it'd be pretty good. Well, he's but, not in it. Right, but he's yeah, the, yeah. kind of behind it, yeah. doing it all, yeah. yeah. So, all right. if you want to see Boys in the Boat, my recommendation would probably be to wait. You probably would wait anyway. Nobody goes to the theater anymore, but... I love going to the theater still. Do you still go to the theater? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. You might want to go. <laughs> I don't Put that on the poster. <laughs> well... Mitch says you might want to go. It's a hell of a review, yeah. I thought it was okay. I thought it was, you know, I'm, okay. not, I'm not feeling like I want my time back like I do with Maestro. Okay. Two hours after Maestro, I looked at my wife. I'm like, what? How do we get those two hours? What, yeah. do we, what the hell did we just watch? Someone owes you something after yes. that one. Yeah. Yes. I got you. And it's going to win Academy Awards. We're going to be sitting around watching Bradley Cooper go up to the stage 12 times <laughs> right. to pick up Academy Awards for a movie that I'm telling you, don't waste your time on. All right. Sounds okay. good. All right. You happy that Brooke Hogan got married? She's been married for over Hulk a Hogan's year. Hulk Hogan's kid? Hulk Hogan's kid. You know who else got married? Who? Hulk Hogan. Pa Patrick Schwarzenegger. Arnold's kid. Oh, yeah. Did they, get married thinking, to, they married each other? No, no, but why didn't they? They could have super babies. you imagine the father-in-laws are Hulk Hogan and Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger? I don't really want to talk about oh. it. What's your first name? Brooke? Yeah. Why? Her father still 
sets me off a little bit. Hulk Hogan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Florida guy. You should love him. He's one of you. The Rocky thing. <laughs> You're still holding that against yeah, him? Yeah. I don't like the way he took that thing so seriously. He picked Rocky up and threw him across the ring. See, it was supposed to be an exhibition fight but, but you're not a you're not I, I a wrestling got, I, fan you yeah, don't get I, that, it that really i got scared for rock the whole thing made me very uncomfortable the whole thing is a work as they call it in wrestling it's a work it's not real it's a work yeah but rocky and was gonna get hurt you have to put on a show yes, thunder lips rocky, is in there rocky's health was at risk in the middle of his he had just won the championship <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like every- I just I it rubbed me the wrong way. All right. Scene. Well, congratulations to Brooke Hogan and Patrick yeah. Schwarzenegger. I wish they would have got married. He's at it again, and he's a loser again. You know who I'm talking about? No. Remember Houston furniture store owner oh, Jim Mattress Mac McInvale? Of course, yeah. He made a $1 million bet at Caesars <laughs> Sportsbook to win $2.7 million on the Texas Longhorns winning the national Let's championship. Go. Yes. How's that going for you, Mac? I <laughs> put him out of business. <laughs> That's Michael Penix put his ass out of business. You might remember that it was Mattress Mac, uh, 72-year-old Mattress Mac, who won $72 million on the Astros to win the 2022 World Series. He lost $9.9 million in bets in October, this past October, on Houston to repeat as champions. But he had... One million on the Texas Longhorns <laughs> to win the national championship. Just another Colorado. pelt on the wall of the 2023 Huskies. God, Mattress Max. Thank God he's not going to win. <laughs> Put him right up there. All right. Guitarist Frankie Sullivan, a founding member of the band Survivor, yep. had his L.A. home burglarized. And cops say the thieves made off with fancy watches worth a ton of dough. Now, they th- this is crazy. The cops think it's the work of a South American burglary crew that flies into the country to hit expensive homes. Several belonging to celebs. Keanu Reeves got hit. Leo DiCaprio got hit. The South American band of of bandits are coming in and robbing people's homes. And I was thinking, boy, Frankie Sullivan from Survivor is pretty stoked. He got mentioned with Keanu Reeves and Leo DiCaprio as somebody famous who got their house ripped off. Incredible. Yeah, so lots of stuff. Just be careful if you're a celeb out there. I know this is an old story, but I've got to bring this up because I just love it. The better that last week in the NFL, in week 16 of the NFL, did a $5 parlay and picked 14 guys to score touchdowns in 14 different games. Did you see this? No. Yeah. Unnamed better, and I've seen highlights of him watching the games. It's on Instagram. I've seen the video oh of him. Oh, my God. He picked, this. listen to this, on a $5 bet, Yeah. he picked Najee Harris to score for the Steelers. This is a week ago. Easy. No, this was a week a ago. A week ago. Sorry. Okay. Gabriel Davis. For the Bills, Jameer Gibbs for the Lions, DK Metcalf for the Seahawks, Jerome Ford for the Browns, Chris Rodriguez for the Commanders, uh, Jonathan Taylor for the Colts, Calvin Ridley for the Jaguars, James Conner for the Cardinals, Raheem Moster for the Dolphins, Javante Williams for the Broncos, Isaiah Pacheco for the Chiefs, DeAndre Swift for the Eagles, and Christian McCaffrey on Monday Night Football for the 49ers. If any one of those 14 guys doesn't score a touchdown, (laughs) he loses his five bucks. Instead, he wins. That's unbelievable. $500,000 on <laughs> a $5 bet. Wow. By the way, Najee Harris had three touchdowns going into the Seahawks game. Like, he's not a touchdown scoring machine, and that's one of them? Holy shit. He had to, he picked 14 guys to win the freaking unbelievable. I would have hit $600,000 that he won on a $5 bet because he, and, and he had to win, he had to have Christian McCaffrey oh. in the final. Game of the week on Monday Night Football in a game that they got killed by the Ravens, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. If he doesn't score and he goes 13 out of 14, he loses. Loses, loses a $5 bet. 
And there's a video of him on Instagram watching McCaffrey score and realizing he just won whatever it was, $600,000. That's unbelievable. Crazy. I, like I said, I would have hit 13 out of 14. I would have been red hot. And I would have, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's how that went. But you would have sold the ticket before the 14th game for <laughs> 200 grand. No, my, my head would have gone to, why did I put five down? Why did I put 100 down? What the hell's wrong with me? That's exactly All right, a couple others. Cal transfer wide receiver Jeremiah Hunter. Ever heard of him? No. University of California leading wide receiver for the Bears. Yeah. Six foot two, 200 pounders, had 1,000 yards receiving oh, this past year. Five touchdowns for a Bears team that doesn't know how to throw the ball. Mm -hmm. Had 63 catches last year, seven touchdowns. University of Washington bound. Let's go. I don't know who he's joining. He's definitely not joining Roma Dunze. He'll be gone. Uh, Polk will be gone too. Do we think Polk is going to go know. to the pros? Maybe. Maybe he joins McMillan. Maybe he joins Polk, but All he's right. joining the University of Washington. Great. That's him. for sure. All right. You brought up Maury Povich last week. I did, yes. Because he was called into a zoo yes. to announce who the father was yes. of some what, gorilla? Uh, it was an orangutan. Orangutan, Yes, right? they had a female orangutan who was pregnant, and she was messing with two different males. Right. So he read the results for right. them. Right. Yeah. Well, I figured... Why not make it two episodes of Mitch Unfiltered in a row where we bring up <laughs> Why not? Maury Povich? Yeah. Shaq O'Neal sure. admitted on a podcast this week that during his playing days, every morning, quote, at 10 a.m., we'd wake up with thousands of dollars. We'd watch the Maury Povich show. We'd make bets on who the father is every day. <laughs> so, like, we'd watch it. We let them talk. And then we pause it. We pull our money out. And you bet $1,000 on who's the father. Oh, my God. He says he loved, he and his basketball brethren yeah, yeah. loved watching the Maury <laughs> Povich show, and they bet thousands of dollars. <laughs> nice to be rich and kind of bored. And oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. But you do have to kind of dial in and figure it out here. You, you can look at the kid. Does it look like the yeah. dad? That, yeah. That's amazing. We've also said over and over again how much we both admire Dolly Parton. Oh, she's, yeah, national treasure. A dying Dolly Parton super fan was able to cross an item off of his bucket list when the country music legend called him last week God. and serenaded him with one of her music most iconic hits lg gold who lives in orem utah but originally hails from parton's home state of tennessee mm -hmm. had been fighting colon cancer for the past two years when he received the terrible news that it had spread and there was no treatment longer oh. available he had a few months to live he has entered hospice care. A year ago, he scrawled out LG's list of living, the 10 things he wanted to do before he died on a napkin. Number seven was meet Dolly Parton. And days after his wife, Alice, shared the list on social media, the phone rang. I'm just happy to know that I have a fan that devoted, the 77-year-old star said. Hey, LG, it's Dolly P. I've heard you've been a fan of mine for many years, and I just wanted to thank you for that. Just know that I will always love you. And then she broke into the song, I Will Always Love You, like, over gonna, the phone. I'm going to tear up. This is, like, amazing. She's the most incredible person. She, I know. She can do no wrong. She can do no wrong. Yeah, she's, and she's there's amazing. Something, there's something, like, gold about her heart. Yep, that's right. Every time I read a Dolly Parton story, I'm more impressed. Yep, she's great. Uh, let's see here. Before we get to the RIPs, we got to yes. get to the RIPs, but before we get to the RIPs, let's list everyone right now on the show that didn't die this week. Ready? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> God, I know. We can list all the people that didn't die, including former Major League Baseball star Frank Thomas. Oh, yeah. Who was at home. He turned on the TV, Fox News, to find out that he had died in 2023. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> that's too bad. Fox News was playing 
a montage at year's end of all oh, the famous people yeah. that had died oh, no. <laughs> when he saw his picture, Frank Thomas, which <laughs> sent him quickly to social media to tell everybody, no, I'm still here. Yeah, he's looking at his I'm, arm. I'm nope, do- I think I'm alive. I'm doing just fine. <laughs> they meant another Frank Thomas who was oh. born in 1929, a baseball player, died at uh, the age of 93 this year. Yeah, wrong Frank January. Thomas, everybody. Wrong, and they showed him. I'm going to do the RIPs, or you're going to do the RIPs, and we shouldn't mention Frank Thomas because Frank Thomas is alive and kicking. That's good okay? to know. I like and Frank And he's still Thomas. doing those commercials, Creepy for, commercials. for testosterone, right? Something, Him, him yeah. and Doug Flutie, maybe? Yeah, yeah, Doug yeah. Flutie, yeah. And she'll like it, too. And she'll like it, too. Yeah, he's oh, like lifting God. weights and shit. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm I'm back, buddy. Yeah, And she'll like it, too. Oh, it's so weird. All right, who you got? R. Tommy R. Smothers, half of the Smothers 86 brothers. 86 years old, yep. You know, I, I didn't realize that they were so controversial for their time. They were. They would go after the president and the Vietnam War, and CBS canceled them, and they sued CBS. But he was kind of a he was kind of a badass in a weird way. So Tommy yeah. Smothers, half of the Smothers brothers, eighty six years old. Okay, racing legend Gil DeFerran, who won the Indy five hundred back in twenty three, passed away at okay. fifty six miles an hour. But he also holds the close course land speed record. He at, passed away at fifty six miles per hour. <laughs> he was fifty six years old. But you said he passed away at fifty six. Oh, miles did I really? Per hour. I hope he was going faster than that when he passed away. <laughs> well, a race car driver. I hate to say it, but he was actually <laughs> driving when he passed away. Oh, shit, was he? And he pulled over because oh. his heart was hurting. I didn't mean to say he died at 50s. But anyway, he holds the record for the closed course land speed record at 241 miles an hour, 56 years old. Got it. Pretty awesome guy. Okay. All right. Who Richard, Richard Romanus, famous for his memorable role in Mean Streets. You'd probably recognize him. He played Michael the Lone Shark in Mean Streets. Yeah. His character grows impatient with De Niro's Johnny Boy after constantly ducking and dodging him on a fat debt. Right. He was also in a few episodes of The Sopranos playing Richard LaPena. He was in Hill Street Blues, the A-team. Every, pick, pick a show in the 80s. He was in it. He passed okay. away at 80 okay. years old. Good okay. character actor there. Okay. Tom Wilkinson, one of the most recognizable sure. British actors sure. in recent memory. I have that one, yeah. You, you do 75 have that years old. The Full Monty. Yeah, The Full Monty is probably what everyone would recognize him from. But I mean, Batman Begins, Shakespeare in Love, Rush yep. Hour, p- pick a yep. movie. Yep. 75 years old. And then you told me about one during the party. Because Mitch Are likes you- to liven up his parties by talking about deaths. <laughs> so I figure, no one, I figure if I do do that, nobody will come to the next party, which would be good for me. <laughs> right. But no one at the party would know she- who Shecky Green even is. Oh, I know who Shecky me Green too. is. I was trying to figure out whether I've seen Shecky Green. Mm. It's possible that I've seen Shecky Green perform in Las Vegas. Very possible. Your parents love to we take love you to, to Vegas. We love to do those types of, the, yeah. Yeah, those types of which trips. Which is pretty cool. The tuxedo-wearing comedian who pioneered the Vegas Lounge Act. He was 97 years old, born Fred Sheldon Greenfield, April 8th, 1926 in Chicago. His love for comedy deepened when he teamed up with the future co-founder of the comedy store in Los Angeles, Sammy Shore. Oh, Polly's dad. Yeah, sure. When they asked him why he does it, because he got, he got stage fright. Yeah, I have a list of stuff I want to talk about in just a second of stuff that he had, but go ahead. Oh, okay. He says, I wanted to get out of show business so bad at the time, but when you're making $100,000 a week and supporting 12 bookies and a wife, it's difficult. <laughs> I, know, I was going to say, I was, Green's career had obstacles due to, now I'm not making fun of these. He had depression, bipolar disorder, stage fright, gambling, <laughs> panic attacks, drug abuse, and alcoholism. Oh, he lived to 97. He's like an inspiration. He's the most inspirational guy I've ever heard in my life. Oh, God. All right, that's it for my RIPs. Uh, I've got a couple more. Okay. Herb Cole, ever heard of him? No. Yeah, you have. The former U.S. Senator. Oh, yeah, yeah. The state of Wisconsin. Yeah. Milwaukee Bucks owner, retail shopping magnet, Kohl's department store. That Kohl's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, died at the age of 88 after a brief illness. He plunged into politics 
1988 at the age of 53. He passed away. How about Bobby Rivers, the sassy celebrity interviewer and film critic from VH1. Do you remember VH1's Bobby Rivers? Yeah, sure. He was 70 years old, had been living oh, in man. Minnesota. How about Joey Meyer, longtime DePaul basketball player and coach and son of... Ray Meyer, the famous DePaul. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Head basketball coach. Yeah. As a player, Joey Meyer played for his father, averaged 13 points per game, and then he was the coach after his father retired. He at the helm of DePaul, his alma mater, he racked up 231 wins as the head coach, a 594 winning percentage, and he reached the NCAA tournament on seven different occasions. How about NASCAR legend Cale Yarborough? Oh, I missed that one. 84 years old after a long illness, died Early Sunday, won 83 races, tying Jimmy Johnson for sixth on the all-time NASCAR Cup Series list. He's also one of two drivers to win three consecutive championships, winning in 1976, 77, and 78. And with that, I ask you for headlines, sir. Police charged that a 20-year-old woman repeatedly beat her boyfriend with a Christmas tree during a pre-dawn skirmish on Christmas Eve. The woman's attorney claimed she was just trying to spruce him up a bit. A 51-year-old sperm donor who has impregnated nearly 200 women says he can't find a partner. Frankly, I'm impressed by this guy doing his thing at 51 years old. I'd like to shake his hand. Okay, maybe just a pat on the back instead. Police in Tennessee. Police in Tennessee had to rescue a beaver from a local hospital. Rescue? The poor thing was in the hospital just looking for a little beaver shot. And finally, a pastor in North in the arm. Come on, what's the matter with you? And finally, a pastor in North Carolina lost his shit and tried to shove a McDonald's worker's face into a deep fryer for disrespecting the pastor's wife. Like the good book says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the occasional third-degree burn on your face if you don't leave my fucking wife alone. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Happy New Year. The Washington Huskies are going to face the Michigan Wolverines. Let me make the announcement. I'll do it on Twitter as well. We will not post episode 270 until Tuesday morning makes, next week. Makes sense. <laughs> because on Monday night, there's a certain football game Woo, that we're all going to watch. Let's go. All right. Episode 269. Mitch Unfiltered in the books.